Welcome back to the Bond Revisited podcast. You are listening to part two of episode 11, where we revisit and rank Moonraker. After finding out Dr. Goodhead is a CIA agent, Bond brings M and the Ministry of Defense to the secret lab he has discovered, only to find someone unexpected waiting for him there. Join us as we take a look and eventually add Moonraker to our rankings. So the next morning, as Tom says, they do sleep together and Bond sneaks off in the morning without her noticing, although she does notice. And uh, she also is very quickly going to leave. She tells the hotel to go fetch her bags. And Bond has gone back off to go see M. M and the minister have now arrived in Venice and he must have reported back to them to come and have a look at the lab that he uh, he infiltrated earlier on. So he takes them to that glass blowing place and gets them all to wear gas masks just before they're about to go in because obviously you're worried about all the toxic stuff in there. And, you know, you you see M like struggling to put on this gas mask. Poor old man. He's, <laughs> uh, I found it funny because like one scene, like you see him like trying to pull it on and then it cuts and he's like got it on perfectly. So it's like they clearly went in and was like, nope, here you go. Here you go, Bernard. Here you go. Um, anyway, he takes them in. Uh, expecting to show off the lab and would you know he goes in and it's this big stately room kind of like the ones we've seen back in california um big windows big paintings lots of curtains and there's just no sign at all of the lab it's like a completely different area and obviously he's there going kind of like whoa and and there's drax um at the far end looking very confused and they walk up and kind of sheepishly take off their their gas masks uh, and Drax is there saying like, "Oh, I'd, I don't really understand you, you, you British and your sense of humour type of thing," um, which obviously leads to the the minister looking very embarrassed and going up and apologising. And yeah, obviously not very happy with Bond. It cuts to cut to them outside, and the minister telling off Bond or telling off M to tell off Bond, saying, "Take him off the case." You know, I've never been so embarrassed in my life, sort of thing. Uh, which is kind of the one thing I do find strange about this is that, you know, they had this character in The Spy Who Loved Me. And in that film, Bond and the minister seemed a lot more chummy. Like he was there calling him, I think he even calls him Freddy as they're talking. And it's like now they've kind of backtracked and made it like, no, this is a serious guy. Like he is, he doesn't really care about Bond. It's kind of a. Well, I took it more because they dropped the lines in that the minister like plays crabs or like plays some sort of game with tracks so he has some sort of like working relationship with the man which is part of um, Drax being a very powerful person in this world so I took it more that because they were friends like Bond taking them there and that's why he's so embarrassed and they're mad at Bond because he is also friends with Drax yeah yeah I mean yeah definitely he has a good reason to be embarrassed and angry but it's just uh it's strange how how they go from like first name basis to take him off the case one film later um so you get just a little scene. He walks off and you just get M and Bond now next to a canal. And Bond gives M the vial and says, you know, go give this to Q to go test uh, as you know, evidence that there really was a lab there and he's not just making it up. And you get this really sweet little scene between M and Bond where M's basically saying, like, yeah, I need to take you off now. Like, I've got to listen to orders. So how's about you? You take uh, two weeks leave Two, two weeks leave of absence um is there any way you'd like to go sort of i think he has done this before but you know 
hinting at Bond just to continue the mission on his own accord anyway. And so Bond's there thinking, yeah, I've always, always had a hankering to go to Rio. And uh, M's, I, I seem to recall you saying so. You get the little twinkle in the eye and a little bit of like, oh, you know, M's got Bond's back. And I, I do like that. I really do like this scene. Mm, yeah, we get more of that. And it, it works really well because this is the last portrayal of M from Bernard Lee. Oh, yeah. so the fact we get so many more like these nice moments. It's stuff we've seen before, but this is like the most of these we get in this. So it's like, oh, and, and I, oh, it, it's another instance of it being it's so British. Like, <laughs> Mm. They both know what they're talking about. It's like, I've always wanted to go to free. It's like, ah, yes, I remember you mentioning that, of course. <laughs> very good. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, very sweet, as you say. So then we cut to Rio. We don't waste any time. Bond. Well, do we, not do we quite. Get... Wait, what, what, what else happens? So then we cut to Drax on the phone. Uh, oh, God, yeah, this scene. Yes, I've, everything's all good. So we know Drax was up to no good, but he's on the phone talking to someone saying, yes, everything's all clear and saying, I'm going to need a replacement for Chang. My, the Japanese guy I hired is dead. I'm going to need a replacement. And then something gets said to him and he's like, oh, yes, that'll be, I can't remember exactly what he says, but he's like, yes, that'll do. That'll be great. So we then cut to a very tall man. <laughs> I wonder who this could be. Mm -hmm. uh, the camera is behind him walking through airport security. And he goes through the metal detectors. The security guards go to stop him. And we see that it's Jaws. And Jaws give a big old smile at the, the security guard. And the guard just lets him through. So we have now seen that Jaws is in Rio. And Drax has hired uh, Jaws to take out Bond. Right. How could I forget this scene? Because this scene just raises so many questions for me. What are you right, yeah, talking about? You, well, you get Drax on the phone. As you say, Chang's dead. So he's on the phone. And the line that he says is... Oh, well, if you can get him, of course. So that begs a question like, well, first of all, Jaws is obviously kind of infamous, right? People know Jaws. Other other villains of the world know of Jaws. So he's you know, popular guy. But also, number two is, does Jaws have an agent? Like, how does... <laughs> is he like a talent? It's like, oh, yeah, well, you know, we can book in Jaws for um, Stromberg... But then he's, you know, we've got to move over to Drax now. He's very busy. You know, his, his diary's chocker blocks Jaws. It's just like, who is he talking to on the phone? Who is organising? <laughs> is it like a henchman um, yellow pages? You know what I mean? Like, what's going yeah. on? I like it, though. I like it. <laughs> I really like the idea that a henchman can just be picked up and, yeah, <laughs> open the yellow pages, as you say. Just like, oh, there's Jaws better. Sounds like you can get the job done. J Jaws, hmm. yeah. metal teeth, very tall. Yeah, sounds good. Book him. <laughs> yeah, get him booked. Love to see him. See him do his stuff. Uh, yeah, that's that is a great little scene. I'm sad I forgot about that. But okay, then we get then we get Bond in uh, Rio. I can't remember. Do we get a, a plane shot? We typically get. Yeah, a plane we get shot. the Air France for some reason. Oh, it's a Concorde, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, which I'm assuming is like product placement or something. But yeah, it's the Concorde Air France landing in Rio for him coming there. Right, and I wrote down in my notes. I can't really remember it now, but I, I wrote down that there was a, a nice instrumental theme of Moonraker here. Uh, I do think the music is better in this film compared to Spy Love Me, which is might be quite controversial, but I do like a lot of the the soundtrack in this one. This was one of the themes that stood out to me i think we i were actually saying... i wrote down this was a remix of the main theme but put a question mark because oh. I, I just find it so forgettable the main theme where it's like i like this and i think it's a remix of the main theme but i actually wasn't sure 
which is not something that usually happens with these films. Usually they make it quite obvious, but I was just, I just find that song so forgettable that I was like, I think this is a remix, but I'm not sure. Uh, yeah, I guess that just goes back to me having a soft spot. Um, so Bond is, uh, Bond goes to his hotel, of course. We've got to have the Bond in the hotel uh, scenes and he is uh, shown his suite by this this very strange character i mean he's only on the the screen for a few seconds but it's like the guy showing him his room and kind of like how fancy it is a presidential suite or something it's called and i can't remember the line bond says but uh he basically says some sarky comment and like the guy is so unimpressed (laughs) he just walks away uh looking so unhappy with bond um just a kind of odd character to include but uh bond's there and he hears uh, some shaking i think some cocktail shaking and there's a random woman in the room kind of waiting for him making him a another vodka martini again you're right it's one where he does not say shaken not stirred she says it on his behalf i never picked up on that but you're right like he never says it it's always other people saying it to him yeah like he has said it before but yeah the majority of the time it's 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 someone else will tell him what he's having and I guess the idea is that it's so famous and it's James Bond that people just know this stuff and that kind of adds to the character a bit. Mm. But this character is uh, Manuela, who Manuela. is uh, kind of similar to Goodnight in that I think she was she's uh, like a station somewhere. I wrote down station VH. So she she has information and working. I think M asked her to help Bond. So, yeah, she's there to assist and, and help find out more about the C&W importers, which Bond is asking about. Um, and when I says that there's this warehouse they can go and investigate later on. Um, but it's going to be busy because it is Carnival. Like Carnival! Carnival's on, and, which we'll see later on. So, uh, yeah, they sit down and you get another kind of creepy, creepy, cringy line and action by Bond as he starts to undress her. And it's like, how do we spend six hours in Rio if you don't sumba? It's like such a... That's a, uh, a long line, and it just doesn't work. But I think they are meant to sleep together. Like, yeah, yeah. But it just cuts. Like, there's no real moves from Bond. They just talk about business and a little bit of banter, I guess. And then she sits down, and Bond's just like, I'm just going to undo the robe. Here we go. Yeah, yeah. That's, yeah that's how he works, this Bond. But I, I don't get it. It's just, I mean, I've already, we've already said it, right? But it's just, I don't get it. It doesn't work. Mm-hmm. I don't find it charming. <laughs> like, it just doesn't work. Yeah. Uh, but then we do cut to Carnival, uh, a, a giant big street parade happening in Brazil with lots of people, lots of noise, lots of music, lots of dancing and everything like that. And we see uh, Manuel, did you say her name was? Manuela. Manuela. I'm not going to get that right again, I don't think. Manuela uh, and Bond trying to get through this big crowd, all the big parades. And for some reason, they're very fancy. Like, Bond's in his tux, she's in a very fancy-looking dress. I don't think they really explain why. Hmm, no, I don't think so. Because they're just going to investigate this warehouse nearby, which is owned by the the Drax, Drax Industries. Uh, But for some reason, they've kind of dressed up very smart, even though everyone around them is not, because it's all more casual and more colourful and over the top. They had all in speedos and stuff around them. They don't really fit in. Yeah, like I like it. I like the visual of but 
it does seem like an excuse to just put Bond in the tux and have him yeah. look smart, which I like Bond in a tux and I liked in the last film. And this just seems like a massive excuse to, to put him in. One. Mm-hmm. So yeah, they make it through lots of parade shots and eventually get to C and W importer exporter, this warehouse across town. So they eventually escape the crowd and go down this alley and Bond. Well, we actually see this odd looking uh, clown in the crowd. So keep note of that. Uh, well, it's a crowd, uh, a clown costume, I should say. Like someone is wearing a giant clown head and it's very odd. They don't focus yeah. on it too much, but you see it because it's like, that looks really weird. Yeah, it's done quite well because it's obviously quite a disturbing looking outfit, but you get the shot of them walking down the alley and it just stays on that angle. So you can see the clown that having turned and is just still staring at them as they're walking they're walking down towards the camera. It's quite quite a nice shot to set up what comes up next. Hmm. So yeah, so Bond climbs over a wall in this alleyway to go investigate the warehouse and we see a cabana club is very nearby. So the... Uh, I don't remember her name. <laughs> the woman is there waiting for Bond in the alleyway. We see this club and then Bond's in the warehouse and there's lots of noise in the background and flashing lights and there's a cat for some reason. Uh, running across, making some noise. And as Bond is investigating the warehouse, he eventually sees a a Drax air flight patch, uh, which is what he's basically come for. He's looking for information, and he sees that patch. Uh, So he's like, that's interesting. So as the woman is waiting, we see that creepy clown is slowly walking towards her. Uh, Initially, he's quite far away, but he just kind of keeps coming. She's there quite uncomfortable, looking around. But eventually the clown gets all the way up close to her, takes off the head, and it's Jaws! No! <laughs> it's Jaws the Clown! Jaws the Clown. <laughs> so, so Jaws the Clown uh, grabs the woman and goes in for the old bite of the neck. The classic Jaws the Clown move. Everyone loves it. But as that happens, a load of people come out of the cabana club all dancing and merry and they all start dancing around Jaws. So... Like, because all these people hang out around, Jaws is like, oh, I can't kill this woman. So instead just, like, starts dancing with her. (laughs) Just holding with her, dancing, like, yeah, yeah, this is great. So they're all surrounding him and dancing. They're all dancing. At this point, I don't get why the woman doesn't ask for any help. Yeah, she's just deadly silent the whole time. Yeah, she just goes along with Jaws' dance moves, and it's just like, ah, and... Yeah, so, so they all then dance, and... Eventually, they do leave to leave Jaws in peace and Bond at this point. Then, so Jaws goes for the bite, and then Bond drops down from the wall on top of Bond. They smile at each other. Jaws smiles at him. Bond smiles back. And then another group of people show up mm-hmm. and start dancing. And Jaws tries to get to Bond and steps forward. But as he steps forward, he steps into the crowd, who then push him away from Bond. I say crowd. It's not that many people. It's, it's really not. Line. It's, it's a like a guy. line of people push him away and he's like, oh, no, I need to go and bite that person. And eventually he just like goes like, oh, well. He doesn't say this, but <laughs> on his face he's like, well, if you can't beat them, gotta join them. <laughs> and just starts dancing with them and, and leaves. Yeah, it's a strange scene. So I like some of this scene because I think the clown is quite creepy. And it goes to what you're saying, that it's quite effective actually seeing this clown go down this alleyway because it's huge, because it's Jaws. And 
it's kind of taking that element of the happy paradeness and then having someone actually kind of dressed up and also looking quite sinister at the same time. I totally get why someone would not find it sinister, but I think it is somewhat sinister. For me, this is when I kind of fully realised that Jaws was a joke character. I know you said he's clearly a joke character in the beginning, but to me it hadn't fully set in until this scene. Because they straight up take the intimidating, quite tense stuff from the fir- uh, from the spy who loved me, where he goes in to bite someone, and all the gravitas and the weight they gave that, and how kind of ten- much tension they injected into it, they intentionally have him do that, but then immediately suck away that to do comedy. Like it's almost very deliberate that it's like, no, this is not that type of Jaws because that type of Jaws would have just gone crazy and just done it. But no, this is a very cine fun Jaws instead, and. I got more into the city jaws as we went along, but I don't know if this was a very good way of doing it. Like having him do his signature bit, but interrupt him for the sake of a joke. Like, I don't think that's how they should have handled kind of transitioning jaws to be this more comedy focused character. Yeah. For me, the telling thing with this scene and just how much I think they've, they've ruined that, that aspect of jaws kind of beyond redemption now is it was it was scarier and creepier before he's revealed. You know, the clown just walking down is a really cool shot, and it's it's a good use of that costume and that culture and having a a a, a visual like a striking visual like that. As soon as he lifts it off at its jaws, I was like, oh yeah, it's jaws. Okay, <laughs> it's like it's just all oh it was all lost, and it's like well, that shouldn't be how it is. It should be you take it off at its jaws, and it's like oh no, it's jaws. But it's just that. That whole fading and that whole like Egyptian scene from Spy Love Me, you just can't do that anymore. Um, which is a shame. But there you go. That's what it is. It's a shame. But for me, this scene is kind of ripping off the, the plaster, like getting it out of the way. So mm. I wasn't really a big fan of this bit. But it did help put me in the mindset of like, okay, Jaws is just a city character now. Let's just try and enjoy that for what it is. Like before this point, I didn't quite get that sense. But now it's like, okay, now I can just take Jaws for what it is. Like, I stopped comparing him to the spy who loved me after this scene because it's so clear that he's not the same character that he was before. It's it's good that you got this now because the next scene of Jaws, it's yeah, you you need that mindset to to really appreciate it. Yeah, you would hate so much of what happens with Jaws. Oh yeah, this. oh yeah. So after Jaws is whisked away, um, Bond checks on Manuela, makes sure she's right. Since he's got the Drax air freight label he shows that to her says do you know anything about this and she points out that that is um yeah drax's airline and it comes out of i wrote it down san pietro airport so that's that's where bond has to go and investigate next so that's when we cut to bond on sugarloaf mountain i don't I know say. Like that, that very tall place in rio where you can just see the whole city that place. yeah at first i was like is this where the statue of jesus is but it's not um it's just a big mountain so he's up there um as you say it's got like it's really high up and it's overlooking uh, all of rio and he's using one of the telescopes to check the uh, runways of that airport and you can see the Drax um, planes flying out of it. As he's doing that, he peers, like he, he peers the lens over, and who does he see on the other end, looking straight back at him? It's Doctor Holly Goodhead. She's Whoa. back. She's back. Yeah, we kind of knew that she was heading here because of the, the tickets in the last scene with her, but um, somehow they have bumped into each other once again. 
I'm pretty sure there's a bit more back and forth dialogue. I didn't really note any of it down. Like the whole sort of um, like flirty hating each other <laughs> that these two love hate relationship that they've got going on. Um, I think it's just them agreeing to work together because they're both here and they're both on the same line, you know, so they, as I said before, pooling their resources and not actually running off without each other this time. Um, have I missed anything there? I want to make sure I didn't miss anything. No, important. that's about it. They're saying we don't trust each other, but that's what makes it exciting. And it's, it's the same old stuff. I think it's basically she just says Drax is moving out or they come to that conclusion of, oh, a lot of stuff has been shipping out of this airport recently, which means Drax is moving to a new location. Right, that's right. Yeah, so now they want to go back down and, and investigate that. So they go back down on the cable car from the top of the mountain, and this is where we get the next, like, moving a mile a minute here, we get another action scene. Um, they're on the cable car, and who is back? It's Jaws, straight away. Ah. <laughs> no time wasted, He's on a mission, so he's there in, I don't know, he must be at, is he at the bottom? Yeah, he must I've, be at the bottom. Is he at the bottom? Because the other guy's at the bottom. Oh no, yeah, you're right, he has to be, hasn't he? Because then he, yeah. So yeah. he is there with his his other goon, who is also bald. He must have a thing for, for bald, go, like, side. Initially side I was men. like, oh, Sandor's back. And I was like, <laughs> no, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> oh no. Um, Sandor's brother. Yeah, maybe. Maybe it's family business. So Jaws is there and he bites one of the cables. I'll make sure I get this in the right order because a lot happens No, he here. does the will thing first. Oh, okay. So he, he stops the cable car. So then why does he bite it? <laughs> I, think he's, I think he is trying to kill Bond. I don't think he actually bites it, though. Oh, does he just try to? Yeah, so I think it's like, yeah, he grabs the wheel to stop it from spinning and then we get some more comedy bits of it starting to go and he's like, ah, starts to go and ah. Uh, and then he goes to bite the cable, but I don't think he actually can bite through it, which is why he then uh, does something else. Okay, so at any rate, he makes the Bond and Goodhead's cable car stop. So they're in it, they notice it's stopping. For some reason, Bond says, oh, Let's go outside. It's better to be outside than in, which doesn't make much sense to me. Like, why would you want to be outside where there's <laughs> you can fall off? But um, they like go out the fire exit bit on the top, so they're standing on top of the cable car. Meanwhile, Jaws, now that it's all stopped, he is heading up in the opposite direction, and he eventually meets them like where they are. And so the two cable cars are side by side, and you get lots of there is a lot of smiling in this isn't there, by uh, by Rog and, and Jaws. They smile to each other. Um, yeah, I take it as in, because Jaws never talks, and because his thing is smiling, it's kind of like, this is their way of communicating. They don't talk, they just smile at each other. Just smiling, yeah, that's all it needs. Uh, Jaws really awkwardly jumps over um, to their cable car. Uh, I, should, I, I think Goodhead had also grabbed a chain which is comes up in a minute. Um, yeah, he really awkwardly jumps over. Like you can tell where they just cut, and then it's it just doesn't it doesn't flow at all. This this whole scene does not flow. You get Bond and Jaws fighting on top of a cable car. You know, like punching and, and swooping and everything. Um, Goodhead is there, like trying to dodge out the way, and Jaws whacks her a couple of times out of the way. 
again, it's another scene where there's just no noise. It's kind of like Manuela in that previous scene where she's <laughs> she's getting kidnapped and about to be killed and she's not making any noise. And it's the same with this. There's no screaming or anything. It's really strange. It's just like eerily quiet when you're meant to be having a, a fight scene on top of a uh, a cable car, you know, hundreds of feet in the air. But Well, I think that's the thing. So I think lack of noise. Maybe they should have put some more in. But when you have something so high up, I feel like the lack of noise does kind of work, right? Because cause when you're high up, there is just less noise in general. And the lack of noise kind of helps emphasize how high up they are. They're so high up, they can't even hear the nearby city. So maybe that's not how they meant it. But for me, having a lack of noise high up totally makes sense. Maybe they should have had a little bit of wind or something, but you know. Yeah, some some wind and just some more like grunts and like fighting sounds i don't know it just didn't seem right i also forgot to mention there's one point where bond nearly falls off um he like slips and nearly falls off and this is where like this scene was just it didn't started off bad because you get bond uh or you get goodhead like picking up bond but it's just the most lifeless acting because they're so clearly on like a sound stage and and these shots are not meshing together well where you get the close-ups and then you get the shots of the cable car far away because they're like oh oh no james hold on and it's just like, come on, put a little bit more into it. You're meant to be <laughs> hanging off the edge of this cable car. I just really dislike this whole scene. Anyway, um, you get, uh, as I say, Bond and Jaws fighting for a bit. They eventually lock Jaws in the cable car. He like, falls down and then they lock him in there. Um, and they use the chain to slide down the cable car um, together. Jaws... I think he tries to get out, but he can't. So this is where he's like egging on the, the, the bald henchman to speed up the cable car to follow them. Makes no sense because like his he would have been hundreds of hundreds of feet away. I don't know how he's able to like see his face. But yeah, he's like, you know, speed it up, speed it up. Keeps on saying faster and faster. So this bald guy at the controls is speeding up the cable car and kind of get into such a speed where he realizes that he's like going too fast because Bond and Goodhead drop off at the last second because they land on ground they're low enough to land and the cable car is still going crazy fast and you get this like close-up shot of jaws like whoa as as the cable car careers into the um like the loading section and smashes everything and yeah you get like nice is this a bit with the seven up billboard nice bit of product yeah seven up yeah you get this shot of like the whole building smashing the billboard smashing Oh. So b- before you carry on, because we all know what's about to happen. Oh, yeah. <laughs> before we get too distracted, uh, I like this scene a bit more than you did. I actually okay. quite like it. Uh, so something that you- you're right, there's a lot of stuff that they insert in there, which is fake. But there is a lot of stuff that is real. And I think that stuff is still really strong. And I was reading about this before this episode. Apparently somebody like did slip and almost die. One of the stuntmen. Oh, so that shot is almost certainly real. Like that was somebody almost falling from that huge height and almost actually dying. Um, so I think it's like I like it because I think the set piece itself is pretty strong in terms of having these cable cars really high up and the how kind of tense that can be. And just, you know, it's really high up. Like maybe it depends how you feel about heights in general. Or if you've been in a cable car, I don't know. 
Uh, but I think that works well. And the fact that we saw the last scene with Jaws and he's a bit sillier and I'm more in that frame of mind makes this kind of work a bit more for me. That Jaws being a bit more of a goofball, just trying to get to Bond on this cable car. But even then, like the idea of having Jaws on top of a cable car at this height, I feel I still feel like that's quite intimidating in itself because Jaws is just so huge and i think it was quite a smart setting to have him in where there's just kind of no escape they've kind of just got to to fight him they don't really play it that way that strongly but i think that idea is really solid so yeah you're right the the editing's not the best in the way they insert the shots but this actually worked for me i actually did quite uh enjoy this although just like i said about some of the other stuff in venice this probably works a lot better independently from the rest of the film um, like the idea itself is strong it's just when you put it with everything else is when it kind of goes a little bit bit weak for me uh, but yeah i actually did quite find it entertaining overall okay i'm glad you could enjoy it i i by this point i think this whole yeah i think for me as well as what all the stuff i said it's like they whenever they have jaws it's like they need to have jaws and bond together because that's just the nature of these two characters together right you know you have like the the gag punches in the mouth and the clang sounds or jaws picking them up and is really strong you have to have them close by i would have really i think this scene and this setup of a cable car is strong enough as you say with like the idea of the height where it could have just been jaws like at the controls messing around i almost feel like it didn't need jaws coming up to them and like them trying to work out how to get out of it that was that would have been how i would have done it but as i do get why they need to have they always need to have Jaws right up in the action. So, yeah. Do you want to get on to where it goes to? I don't really want to talk about this bit. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess we can do this nice and quick then. So the cable car is smashed into the, the small building, the 7-Up building, and destroyed it. And, of course, it's Jaws, so he hasn't been killed. And we see his head poking out in between this wheel. So he's doing a bit more of a cartoon face of like, oh, what happened? Like Tom and Jerry cartoon where like Tom's in a load of rubble. <laughs> it's very much that. Mm. And for some reason, some woman comes back. <laughs> comes back to the this site because everyone ran away. When they saw the cable car, everyone ran off and Jaws is there. So a woman comes back and helps Jaws out, take the wheel off him. And then he stands up and they stare at each other with dovey eyes, romantic eyes, and then some kind of very famous classical music starts playing, and they do more lovey-dovey eyes, and without saying a word, they just hold hands and, and walk <laughs> off together. So this is Jaws' girlfriend, everybody. You, you know what, actually, I've just said that, I, I don't want to talk about this bit, but yeah, Jaws gets a girlfriend, all right? Good for Good for him. Maybe it's just saying that just you saying that actually it's making me laugh. Maybe it's not so bad. I think if you know it's coming, yeah, it's all right because it's dumb. <laughs> but it's so dumb it comes back around on itself. Like so bad it's good, and I think that's what they were going for. Although I'm not too sure. I could have done without the stock like classical music, like the stereotypical thing. Maybe it's better they do pick that rather than John. Like maybe they're like, hey John, can you compose? <laughs> <laughs> can you compose a theme for when jaws falls in love with a girl at first sight it's like no it's like all right well we'll just <laughs> what's cruelty free then <laughs> we'll just use uh, that yeah by this point they have like 100 percent lost control of jaws like they've just gone all in with this now and you know fair play 
this is how it is now for the rest of the film. You know what? You know where you stand. They've put in the lovey-dovey music. You know what you're going to get. Yes, it's just important to know this is coming as well because I remember when I rewatched this film, hating this and hating some other parts of Moonraker. But if you know it's coming, you know if you brace for it, brace for impact. It doesn't mm-hmm. hurt you as much. You see. Yeah. Um, put your seatbelt on. You don't go flying through the windshield. So that's what you kind of <laughs> got to do here. Just kind of take it for what it is. And I can, you know, I have been able to separate Jaws from the last film from the Jaws in this film. Like, I don't, I can do that in my head. I get why somebody totally couldn't. And if you ask me, like, do you want Dolly? Because her name is apparently Dolly. It's never said, uh, but she does have a name. Would you prefer Dolly in or out of this film? I would still say out of this film. But if you know it's coming, it's silly. Maybe I'm a hypocrite because of what I said about Diamonds Are Forever, but but I feel like at least with Jaws, it's like a concentrated comedy character at this point, and this is very quick as well. Like it's just a very quick scene of those two staring at each other, holding hands, then leaving. Like it's a very small part of the film uh, at this stage, anyway. Yeah, it would be interesting to see if they if this scene wasn't wasn't so quick. How would they have done that without any dialogue? That's yeah, I guess just, that's it, couldn't they? They could. Yeah, they just cut straight to holding hands, and that's enough said. Lovely. So after they walk off holding hands, who had a better uh, holding hand scene, Mister White, <laughs> Mister <King? laughs> or I'm Jaws always, and Dolly? I'm always going to say Winton Kid. Come on now. Well, well, I knew that was coming, but it needs yeah. to be asked. It, it does. So yeah, we go back to Bond and Goodhead. They're on the grass where they jump down from the cable car, and she kisses him and. He's like, what was that for? And it's for saving my life. So now they're a couple, and it's because Bond saved Goodhead from Jaws. Which, I guess, makes a ton of sense. I don't care. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Pretty much. Uh, very boring. But Some medics show up, some paramedics show up, and Bond's like, no, 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 we're fine, thank you. Uh, but they just go and knock Bond out, and then grab Goodhead. Uh, and we cut to inside an ambulance, where Bond wakes up and Goodhead and Bond are tied down on these two stretchers with this man in the middle of them. So Goodhead starts smiling at the man, being all sexy and charming-like. And while she's distracting him, Bond is trying to free himself on the rope and sliding the hand free. And he keeps looking at Bond and then looking at Goodhead. And eventually Bond, like, winks at the guy. And he's got in his hand free. So he goes and kicks a fire extinguisher that's nearby, which very perfectly blinds the man, like it sprays directly at him. Uh, and then he frees himself and grabs the scalp and they they have a bit of a fight. And this is also another case, like this film does the same thing where I would say any of these fights with Roger Moore and Bond are very good. Uh, but I've just kind of accepted it at this point. Like all of these fist fights are just like judo chop, throw the guy, couple of punches, like... All of them are still just kind of the same awkward Roger Moore fights we've come to expect. And to yeah. me, this is just another one. Yeah, this one in particular is just so unnecessary as well. So it's just... Well, this, this whole scene is not unnecessary because they need a way to get rid of Goodhead. But it's just such a convoluted way of doing it. And yeah. And you get more a more very like very overt product placement as well where um, you get like more 7-Up, you get Marlboro, you even get... Well, eventually you get B.A., so it's like, yep, they're getting all their money's worth. Hmm. So it's also worth saying, because we haven't touched on it yet, we were probably going to touch on the space thing, but the budget for this film, like, was huge. 
So yeah. the spy who loved me was there, like, let's go all in and put a load of money into this. And this bubble, this budget, like, doubles at the very least. Um, as you say, some of that money was clearly raised by all this product placement because they go really all in with it and it's all over this film. It's just back to back to back. That's the thing. It's just, that's probably the only reason why they have this scene is just so they can have some more billboards. Yeah, completely. But yeah, so this is a huge budget film for Bond, which I think did set the standard for the budgets going forward. But yeah, this film cost like at least twice as much as the last one. You mm. probably wouldn't know it up to this point. No. Um, but we'll get there. So yeah, so as you say, so they have a fight and Bond knocks the guy out, of which he knocks the guys out, put him on the stretcher, and he rolls off, at which Goodhead pulls his hair out for some reason. Well, isn't it more that she's holding onto his hair and Bond punches him? Yeah, but it's, then... like, it's still like, what? Why <laughs> Why did you include that in this fight scene? Like, yeah, but Goodhead is holding his hair and it gets ripped out of his head. It's horrible. Yeah, she's got a very strong grip, clearly. Apparently so. So, uh, But then Bond and the guy fall out of the ambulance. The man on the stretcher rolls down the road and crashes headfirst into a billboard, which is of a, a woman's face, and he crashes his head into the woman's mouth. And then the the slogan on it is, we'll take more care of you. And it says British Airways, which I, I, if that's meant to be a joke, I don't get it. Mm, I guess so. <laughs> I just, I'm assuming it's just product placement because it has to be because it says British Airways. But I was kind of like, is the joke that this is British hospitality because Bond's British? So Bond taking care of him because he's British is this being knocked out? But then why does it go into the mouth? I don't. Um. I wouldn't think about it too much. <laughs> I, I, try, I just, I guess they didn't, so I shouldn't, but it exactly. doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. But that's it, basically. So Goodhead is still in the ambulance, and because the ambulance is still driving off, uh, she's been, she's still there, tied down, but Bond has managed to escape, so he just walks up the road to wherever he's heading. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of a strange, that's why it's just a strange scene. It's just to get rid of Goodhead, but then Bond is just walking. He's just walking off. He just knows exactly where to go. Well, they couldn't have Jaws kidnap Goodhead because Jaws is meeting the love of his life. It's a... <gasps> He's going to get jealous. Yeah, you can't have Goodhead <laughs> around. What if Jaws and Goodhead locked eyes? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you know, eventually Jaws does save her life. So maybe if they ever get reunited, she might fall for him. Could be. I think this film has made sure that's not going to happen, but... Probably for the right, yeah, probably for the best. Yeah, maybe not. Anyway, um, after the ambulance scene, as you say, Bond is walking off. So this is another another uh, example of a scene of Bond walking somewhere. We have no clue what he's doing. And it ends up being uh, an MI6 like headquarters. Kind of exactly how it happened in Spy Love Me, where he's walking and he ends up going through the temple and there's Money Penny. It's it's kind of the same thing here, except he's on horseback and looking like a cowboy, and oh. there's Western music playing. Poncho, <laughs> ponchos. Is, is he wearing a sombrero? I don't know. Yeah, well, he's wearing some sort of cowboy big hat. Yeah, yeah. So you know, he thanks these two two guys that were helping him apparently, and and walks on into this monastery. It seemingly looks like because there's all these monks there and like. Uh, 
what do you call that? Like the singing, but like, yeah, it's like all very strange. Like holy choir, right? That's yeah, cool. yeah. And and then he peeks through one of the doors and they're in the middle of a fight. So you kind of think like, what's going on here? Um, and you kind of go into this central courtyard area and uh, there's Q. Q's there with some of his... Uh, well, you missed something, Joe. What did I miss? He actually goes into a room and money pennies at her desk. Oh, but yeah, you're right. It's the same gag again, isn't it? Yeah, that Bond just goes through a door and it's just money penny is set up in this Mexican. I, I put down Mexican. I don't know. I don't think it's Brazil, but it would make more sense if it was Brazil. But it feels more like a Mexican sort of cowboy Western area. Yeah, it does. I don't know why they're doing that. I don't. <laughs> I don't get it. But you're right, yeah, he does see Money Penny first, and they do the exact same thing about not her not believing his line. Um then he goes to see Q. You see a bit of a gadget with like bolus, is that what they're called? There's a bit of a gag there with balls and bolus, I can't remember. Well he just um, says balls Q. <laughs> balls Q. <laughs> balls Q. Is it bolus? Is that what they're called? I don't know. There's spinny things and someone demonstrates and spins around someone's head and blows up and then there's another thing that looks like a gout, a guy crouching down and it opens up and it's like a machine gun inside. Whatever, we've seen this stuff before. It's fine. Um, he goes in with Q to M's office. Boss M is going to be there as well. It's kind of sad. I, I thought the last time we saw M in this film was in Venice I'm, and it was such a nice ending to the character as well. I wish we didn't get this bit with him later on. I guess you kind of have to for the plot, but... Yeah. Well, you get him at the very end of the film as well, either way. Oh, true. That is true. Um, anyway, they're there, and it's um, Q telling Bond about the results of the vial that he gave to M to analyze and what's actually what it's actually made of, and it's basically yeah some some nerve gas toxin thing that was uh, came from a flower in the amazon some orchid of course bond knows it like, as soon as q starts saying about it bond bond's like oh yes the orcas stuff, 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 stuff. it's found in the depths of the blah 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 and um that's that's kind of like the only link they have now to go off which is kind of interesting like they really don't have much they are literally just going on roughly where this flower is is known to grow so maybe it's something going on there um and that's it right yeah, that's basically it. Bond is now going to go to the Amazon to go and find where this orchid is meant to grow because it's very rare. This whole scene's terrible. Oh like, my god! I'm worried that people probably got a bit confused when you started describing it because we were just talking about Rio, and then you started saying, "So he's on a horse and he's dressed as a cowboy, and there's monks." <laughs> um, like I, you didn't even mention the laser gun. I, I just saw it in my notes. Laser gun. Like I forgot about the laser gun. It's just so stupid. Like. And I, I'm, I'm becoming more open to stupidity. There's just no context for any of this. Like, it's literally Bond is walking in Rio, and then it just cuts to him in Mexico. And I guess you're meant to find it funny, because it's that same gag of, oh, MI6 is set up in a different region. But there's just no connection to anything that has happened before this point. It almost feels like there was, like, an extra scene of Bond in Mexico that would have tied into this to have it make sense. It just makes no sense. And it's just not funny at this point because we've seen it before in other uh areas but at least with other films they're more grounded in that region so it makes sense 
like Bond has not been in Mexico. <laughs> Mm, and maybe it's not meant to be mexico maybe that's my mistake but it feels like it's more that way with the wild west and stuff like that it's very themed that sort of way it doesn't feel like brazil but maybe it is it's just it just feels like such a weak link and it's just not funny it's not interesting we've seen this before done better it's just like oh god like why are we not in space (laughs) (laughs) why am i watching like monks doing kung fu get him in space come on you're right. Like, yeah. When I think of the Wild West, I don't think of Brazil. And, it, and what they did, they've done something now. Like, so you had the lovey-dovey scene between Jaws and, and Dolly, where they had that that famous bit of like falling in love music. And they've just done it again with this. I don't know what that's from, but it's like from some Western spaghetti Western film. When he's riding in, they use that same music. It's like they've used that too close together. Like using some sort of like external music that doesn't fit into the bond universe i don't like it and then you're right it's like we've just it feels like we've just missed a scene completely um this is all the stuff that i really just as you say get on with the space stuff get rid of this i don't care i want to see all the models getting blown up yeah but as i already said though you do forget a lot of this because the ending is all about space you do kind of roughly forget about it and you're not thinking about like what's up with those monks like you're not thinking that at the end of the film so i can at least give it that credit but when you look back on this stuff i can see why someone would hate this film because when you look at some of these scenes they're just complete nonsense like it just doesn't make sense and there's just no attempt you know unearned is the word i used before and it it's here again they don't make any attempt to tie all this stuff together they do give you reasoning for bond jumping around fair enough or at least something so it's not too shocking but they didn't for this one, and it's the most absurd one at all. And I'm just not into Bond jumping around the place like this. I'd rather it... Like, he can do it, just have it have more of a point and have it work more. This just, for a film about space, just get on with it! It's on the poster, right? You know what people are watching this for? They've just seen Star Wars. They want to see more space. Want to see um, more space? Yeah. Also, I will say, that scene with M and Q and Bond in that room, I did write down that for... It just had terrible audio as well. Like oh, I don't know dear. what was wrong with the microphones, but it was like it was like the boom mic wasn't pointed towards the person speaking, so it was almost like you're just hearing it in a big open room. It, yeah, really bad, really bad. Yeah, really bad. But yeah, so now we're gonna jump. I'm trying to put it all in my head. So what was it? It was Africa, California, Venice, Rio, Mexico, and now we're going to the Amazon rainforest yeah Yeah. which it probably does it to me the fact that he goes to the amazon does mean like they probably are trying to make some effort to make it more brazil based but they've kind of like that that ship has sailed at this point it's too late boys you can't make it brazil (laughs) themed now we're too far into this and we still have to go to space unless you want to send have a mardi gras in space this ain't gonna work oh that'd be something carnival in space carnival on the moon yeah i'm up for that oh yeah so we then cut a bond on the the Amazon River, just driving a boat, and my notes just have so much like confusion in here because I'm just like, now that he's just on the river in the Amazon, it just makes you question what just happened before. It's like waking up from a dream. You're just like, what was that? <laughs> was that real? <laughs> yeah. Am yeah. I now just back in the film? Uh, so yeah, so he's driving down and he checks his map, and as he's checking his map. He sees a load of explosions going off in the river or something being shot out. And we see that there's a load of guys on another boat firing mortars 
at him. So it's another boat chase, everybody. Another one? Yeah, I was just thinking, where's the boat chases? What's going on? Need more boat chases. What has been the best boat chase so far in this series? What's like the number one boat chase we had? Oh, that's a good question. I don't think I could pick any of them anymore. What was the boat chase in Spy Who Loved Me? Oh, that was... Oh. Was there one? Oh, there must have been. I feel like there must have been one. They can't help themselves. I can't remember it, though, so it can't have been that good. I mean, obviously, the car is what you remember, right? Like, I'm yeah. trying to think, like, what was the boat chase? And then I just remember the submarine come, like, oh, yeah, that was good. But no, what was the boat chase? <laughs> I guess the end of Thunderball, if you want to count it, but Bond isn't actually in a boat in that one. Yeah. Am I so, really yeah. going to... Am I going to have to pick from Rush of Love, even though I really didn't like that bit of the film? <laughs> you didn't like it. it Winner by that, default. That's the best we've got. It might be. They just haven't done boat chases well, have they? No. They really I don't haven't. want to say I hate boat chases. I just feel like every time they do it, they just can't quite get that formula right. And it makes me think of that Quantum of Solace boat chase, which also wasn't very good. So I don't think we're going to improve anytime soon. Oh, good. Well, let's just get through this then, because this is a very standard kind of, at least the first part, is where Bond is in a Q boat or, you know, a boat from MI6. So initially he drops some might. He has. They very clearly show it. There's like three buttons that he has, which is not a very good way of doing it because you know what's going to happen. He has three buttons for three different gadgets. A boat shows up. He hits the first button. That drops mines. It blows up the boat. I mean, awesome explosions, I have to say. I really like the shots of the other boats blowing up and all like the dummies they put <laughs> on the boat yeah. when they blew it up. So you just see this like dummy go flying in the air. That's meant to be a person. And it's it's so not a person. Um, that I came back around on, I actually quite liked it. Yeah, I liked. Uh, I don't know if the music has kicked in at this point in the in the chase, but the, it uses it does use the From Rush of Love music. Um, yeah, yeah, that classic the the gypsy camp, the Thunderball uh, underwater fight scene, and there was another one, but I can't quite remember it. Uh, yeah, that theme is back. We haven't seen it for a few films. Yeah, I'll happily take that theme, even if it's just with another kind of boring boat chase. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah, it's very cool to see that back. But eventually we see Jaws is on one of these boats and he starts directing the boat. He's firing a gun at them. So Bond then hits the second uh, button on his boat, which is a torpedo. And we do get a nice little moment here where the torpedo misses, but then you see it in the water turn around and spin back and then blow off the boat, which a nice little moment. But at this point in the film is when I wrote this, oh, my notes is when I wrote, this film is really boring. Oh, no. <laughs> I was so bored at this point. And I think it was because the, you know, the Rio stuff, I quite liked that bit. But even then, it's just, at this point, it's just when it was dragging so much. Like from Venice to Rio and this boat scene isn't very good. And I was just so switched off. Just so not interested in seeing another boat chase that we've seen so many times before. I know we've already complained about it, but this is when I read that feeling really sunk in of... And it's something I haven't had before. Just boredom. Like, I've never been this bored watching a Bond film up to this point. Like, yes, there was extended stuff and very long scenes and, like, live and let die in that boat chase. Um, but I never really got bored. This this was just pure boredom at this point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I want to see that on the poster. Pure boredom. Pure boredom. <laughs> Five pure, stars. Not just a little bit of boredom. Pure boredom. <laughs> yeah. 
No, I mean, I, I'm not quite there. It's quite interesting this film because it's almost like it. It finally, we haven't we haven't discussed the ending yet, but it finally changes the the template of the ending being bad or the ending being like dragging on and and just not really enjoying the ending. Whereas like we're we're wanting to get to the end of this, we want to get to the space scenes because we know they're coming up, and it's like now it's like everything leading up to it is like oh get on with it, get on with it. Yeah, we haven't had this at all. You're right. Like it's. It's because we know where it's going that everything else feels like padding. Where normally they get to that finale somewhat, you know, you you just spend an extra half an hour at the end. But yeah, you're right. I hadn't thought about that. But you know, we know why because of the mm. budget. Because yeah, <laughs> they couldn't spend half the film in space. So instead, they've kind of padded out with quite standard Bond affairs and stunts and stuff. Like a lot of this film is just a lot of kind of quite standard Bond things. Not not necessarily a bad thing in some cases. I, as I've already said, I think some of this stuff works quite well on itself. It's just, it's a load of stitched together standard Bond tropes until we eventually get on a rocket ship and go to space. Yep, that's it. So this all ends up with a waterfall is coming up. So they're getting to the end of the river. Bond sees the waterfall. So he puts on a helmet and then shoots these like wings coming out and lets the boat go and he paraglides out. Which actually, I did quite like that. Like that. Did. Uh, yeah, I do. I do like the ending. At least, at least the boat chase has a good ending to this one because it is cool. Yeah. So he paraglides off in quite a cool, little bit silly but cool moment. Very Roger Moore, uh, peak Roger Moore Bond right there. And Jaw sees the waterfall and panics, so he goes to turn the boat and just rips the steering wheel off, and then the boat with Jaws just goes over the waterfall. <laughs> <laughs> and it actually did make me laugh. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, because of the dummies again. Yeah, it was the dummies. But I I was all in. Well, not all in, but I was up for some comedy Jaws at this point. I had switched gears. So seeing Jaws just panic and rip the steering wheel off and then fall off and just so clearly. <laughs> I, <laughs> I think it goes back to the same thing that makes me laugh or made us laugh about the whole like man falling off the mountain and on a majesty <laughs> secret service there's just oh. something innately funny about someone just like oh, <laughs> oh that scene yeah no you're right you're totally right so i liked it i i agree it's a good ending and that bit was actually quite funny it's just too bad it was just another boat chase if we didn't have the venice boat chase i probably would have quite enjoyed this yeah exactly that we have why do we need two boat chases in this film just leave this one in. Get rid of that first one. I guess they're cheap. Yeah, I guess so. So this leads to Bond paragliding down into the, the Amazon rainforest, and we get some very bad shots here of Bond crashing into a tree and landing, like very awkwardly edited, because it's supposed to be Bond lands in a tree and then climbs down, but you just get these like really bad shots, and then Roger Moore just dusting himself off at the bottom of the tree. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. Yeah, I'd buy that, sure. <laughs> So Bond has now landed in the forest. Don't know what his plan is. I guess he's just looking for flowers. Who wouldn't enjoy that? And by circumstance, just finds a, a beautiful young woman in a white no. dress. Get, by give a waterfall. Off. Surely not. Yeah, doesn't matter where he goes. There's always going to be a beautiful young woman there. Yeah. So he follows her. And we see this woman go through quite a lot of the forest. And she goes a long way. Like, I don't think she's properly dressed for this. <laughs> the Amazon rainforest is not just like a nice rainforest. Like, there's snakes. Oh, Actually, there's snakes, humid. all right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, there's snakes. Yeah, you're right. Uh, so Bond follows her, and it takes ages. Ugh. Uh, but eventually she goes to, like, I guess an Aztec temple. 
I'm not sure if Aztec is the right era, but to me, when I see these big long stone stairs going into the middle and this like pyramid type shave, I'm just like, well, it's Aztec, right? I guess. Yeah, it's like Aztec, Mayan. I think Drax does say it at some point in his little spiel, but it's of that of that type. Yeah. Yeah, very yeah, that classic looking kind of temple. So he follows her inside, and we find out that it's the woman from the glass shop from before. So the mm. one that was sitting in that glass shop that let Bond look around, it's her. And she curls the finger to, to beckon Bond over. And then we see a load of women show up that we have seen all throughout the film. So we see the astronauts who were training when Bond was in the helicopter. And we see the, the tour guide who was also at the glass place. And we see a few other things, which actually I really liked this. It, it was a little bit odd but like there was some it was kind of a nice payoff in terms like seeing these all here like it doesn't actually pay off at this moment but it did add kind of this surreal moment of like oh yeah all these people that we saw for like two seconds are now all here just made it feel very otherworldly that these would all come together like this i really like this bit partly because yeah what you're saying like there's actually it kind of sounds bad to say this but there was some actual planning here where all of the women have shown so far that, yeah, they, they are here. So, as you say, tour guide, that lady, all the women that are around Drax, because they, they change. Like, there's two at the beginning when we first see him, then there's two at the shooting. They're different. So they're all now combined. And it's like, okay, that's kind of, as you say, it's a cool little payoff if you had been taking notice of that. Um, and the other thing I really liked about this scene, even though it does go on a bit, you're right, where Bond is following this this woman into this cave system eventually, is the music. I thought the music was probably one of the best bits of bond music i've heard so far i don't i don't really know how to describe it i mean it's kind of like mysterious and a bit airy and a bit like ooh, but it was just a really nice theme um and it's so strange that it's happening now with like not really a very interesting part bond is literally just following this woman going from a to b but uh yeah i i, I was kind of carried by the scene just by the music alone to be honest i don't quite remember the music but I'm trying to remember because there was one scene coming up, which I f- can't remember exactly what it was, where I do like there's a piece where it's like, that's an amazing song. And I had the same reaction to you, but to something else where I was like, this is probably the best piece of music I've heard in a James Bond score ever. Mm. Uh, so I need to go back and listen to this song that you're talking about because I missed it because yeah. I, I agree. If we want to talk about the music for a bit, I think this is the best score by far. I agree. Had in the series. Yep. I agree. Yeah, I really like the score. Like, it just does a really nice mix. Like, it's not quite as over the top as we've had with John Barry's previous score and Bond in general. And there's still quite a lot of variety in it, like The Spy Who Loved Me. But it's just more, I don't know, focused on being good music. It's not trying to be trendy or maybe some things with the space opera stuff. But it's not like trying to be like 70s trend. It's kind of being its own thing. And it, it does it really well. There's like a lot more piano being used throughout the score. And it's kind of... It's just it's just really good. Like I don't see this being topped anytime soon, but it's it's really awesome to have John Barry back and to kind of like just smash it out of the park. Like if you haven't heard the Bond uh, the Moonraker soundtrack, go do that. It's it's excellent. Oh, that's it, isn't it? Really, I think it's it's John Barry back. Uh, nothing against who is it? Marvin, someone for the Spy Who Loved Me and the Chipmunks. Yeah, Marvin and the Chipmunks. That's right. It was fine, and even before that, we'd had. 
the man with the golden gun, which John Barry said he didn't really like. So he's had a few years now. That was what? That would have been five years since the man with the golden gun now. So he's back and he's he's back with a vengeance, like to make a good soundtrack. And, and he did. Like it's it's a really good one. Mm, like he yeah really stretches like he really proves how much of like just an actual good composer like he's not just the guy who does the bond songs uh this is him doing something different and it works really well Mm -hmm. yeah so yeah there's all these women surrounded by uh what in this cave system the woman who was beckoning bond she walks over this uh bridge over this water pit and it's kind of a bit of a a red herring i guess if you're a bond fan and you see a bridge like that you kind of know there's something gonna something's going on with that bridge that's definitely going to collapse and drop you in for sure it just has that look about it but obviously she walks over and it's fine and bond does not do that he instead walks around the water um and like on this very specific rock but i guess in this cave nowhere is safe because this one rock that bond is standing on just so happens to flip up and toss him into the into the water. I like to think that every rock is ready to be flipped <laughs> in this place. Like there's just this big control panel, and someone was watching him. Like okay, that one and go. So it's uh, just the the club from Live and Let Die, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Sit anywhere, Mister Bond. <laughs> That's exactly we'll it. any any table, any rock. Um, so yeah, he's he's in the water, and he gets attacked by a. I guess it's an anaconda, right? I mean, it's huge. I guess so. Um, yeah, it, it's a giant snake. I, I thought like python or something, but yeah, anaconda is python. probably correct. Yeah, either way, it's Bond wrestling with... We've kind of seen this before a little bit with like fake snakes, especially in Living That Die. Um, this one's a little bit better, mainly because it's underwater. So that kind of hides a lot of the crimes of... of yeah, this man just wrestling with what is like a big cuddly toy, basically. <laughs> It looks like because uh, you just get really like frantic shots and bubbles and splashing. And there's a couple shots where you see the snake and it has the same issue of the mouth is just open the whole time. Um, just like in Live and Let Die. But it's over quite quickly. They don't really dwell on the scene. Bond takes it out using uh, the pen, using Goodhead's pen that has the syringe in it. I guess he took it with him, or or Goodhead gave it to him. I don't know. It's one of those things that's not explained, but it doesn't really matter. Um, and yeah, then I can't remember how he gets out. Oh, he gets picked up, doesn't he? Yeah, because a certain someone comes in and picks him up. That's right. Yeah, so he kills a snake, but of course, not even a, a waterfall can kill Jaws. He's there, and he um, grabs Bond and yanks him out of this little this little uh, water pit and. Um, there's Drax. They're all there. Drax is here. And I can't I really can't remember what it says in this scene. You might have to help me here. Oh no, we get a great little line. I really like this line from Drax where he just says, You define all my attempts to give you an amusing death. Like <laughs> I love the self-referential, like, yeah, they have tried to kill Bond in some very kind of silly ways. And I like the idea that Drax and I don't know if this is what they were going for. Because they show him being a hunter, right? And being very fancy and over the top with a lot of this stuff. Like, his demeanour isn't like that, but he surrounds himself like that. So I kind of like the idea of what this is hinting at, is that he wants to kill Bond in a very silly, over-the-top fashion, which is why, like, 
all these sort of things keep happening it just keeps failing but Drax is so kind of cocky and such a hunter and feels so into control he kind of doesn't think maybe I shouldn't do that but he just I like the idea of Drax is self-aware enough like yes this is pretty dumb to have Bond follow a woman to put him in a pit to then have him be like strangled by an anaconda and drown but I like the idea that he's doing that on purpose I think that's like it's a small line but I think it's a line that adds quite a lot to what's happened to this point and what Drax is all about yeah yeah you're right and it is good of the film because it is you know you, yeah you could have just shot Bond anyway could have shot him uh, while they were hunting or like doing the, the shooting but no um and I think that does tie into a little bit like at the end as well like how, how eventually the villain dies is like he, to the bitter end he still wants to take out Bond in in a nice manner like he doesn't want the easy way out um so yeah anyway Drax is there and they kind of usher usher Bond into uh, this big control room and i did think of you when i was watching this bit because it's not quite as bad like it's definitely a good set and it's not the same as we've seen before but it is another example of a villain base at least this bit in a cave or at God least with it. rocks I, I wrote that down i was like rocks rocks, rocks. again we more can't rocks. do rocks people more rocks more more metal but at least and this is one I think was visually quite cool. Like they go into this, this control room and it's like a triangular shape, like pyramid almost. And there's all these screens on the wall. And there's obviously people everywhere working and like dealing with all the shuttles that are launching and stuff. Like it's it's definitely a striking image. You know, we've kind of should, should be used to these by now. They always seem to, although they are like often caves of metal, every now and then they do have these these cool looking designs. And I think this is one of them. Um, and this is this is where we don't quite get the full Drax plan, but we do get Bond talking about the uh, the toxin and the orchid because there's like a, there's one of them in a, suspended in like a glass globe or something. And um, yeah, it's basically giving Drax the chance to talk about how he's been developing this this orchid, which originally... So this is where he was mentioning about like these ruins and how they originally were home to the civilization that killed themselves off because this plant leads to sterility. Um, and now he's he's sort of like dumb genome and everything like that to make it kill everything. Well, not everything, kill humans specifically, but leave animals and plants alive. And all while this is going on, you're seeing, as I say, like the people around him launching um the moonrakers because there's it's like thunderbirds there's like moonraker one moonraker two moonraker three and you're seeing on the screens all of these shuttles going up and and uh into orbit so it does he also does reveal why like this whole thing started with the the thing we saw in the the pre-title sequence and and it's like when i when i watched this but i was like oh really so the whole reason why they stole that shuttle at the beginning back from the americans is just because one of the ones he was building developed a fault and he needed one. So he just he just stole it back. I was like, oh that's a that's a bit of a bit of a sad way to kind of have the whole reason for the film. Because like couldn't he have just built another one? Like he seems really rich. I don't know. I appreciate they put this line in to explain it, but it feels like they put it that that's the only reason why it's here like it's not a core part of the plot the whole thing that triggers all of this is yeah like drax just needing an extra ship so like, yeah. oh, i already gave a ship to somebody else and if he didn't do that 
probably would have got away with it, no problem, because Bond yeah. or anyone would have been involved. But because he was like, no, oh, I really need an extra ship, and I want to do it now, so we'll just, <laughs> oh, but we'll just steal it. It'll be fine. That's the thing, isn't it? He's just got really impatient. It's like I want to kill, I want to kill humans now. <laughs> but like the worst case scenario is like, how many people was he like putting on that ship? It wasn't that many, and he still launches like he would have launched like five or six of them. Like it's not would have been that big of a deal i don't think let's just say there's a lot of plot holes here <laughs> yeah uh anyway so um he's given you know he's done the, the typical villain started off like started to explain his plan but then i think he just says like he's grown tired of mr bond uh, yeah he's time to get rid of him again like this time for realsies so he orders um his henchman to go take bond what does he say? Is it, it's like, it's like some... yeah, it's like, our oh, bomb must be very cold being in that water. Go and take him somewhere for warmth. Mm, yeah. So that ends up being underneath the shuttle, like the, the launch pad. Um, well, he goes in. It doesn't look like that. It looks like a kind of control. It looks like this desk with loads of seats and screens. And I was kind of impressed by how it all folded back because I think that was an actual thing. And I was like, oh, that's actually... That looks really smooth, but it all folds away, and it turns out like the doors open, and it's actually yeah, they're underneath one of the um the space shuttles that's about to launch, uh, the one that he's going in actually, so he's about to go up into space, and there Bond finds Goodhead. So as we as we saw, she was still in the ambulance, so she was kidnapped, and um, she's been left left there to burn as well. Yeah, like this whole section of the film was a little bit odd for me because. I just think of Goldeneye, the video game, because they had a big old Moonraker level, which I played all the time, because you got a space gun and got to go shoot people. And I think the Baron might have been in that or something. Like, it was a weird mashup. But this was, like, a very famous part of that film, or that game, sorry, for me. So this all feels a little bit weird. So those triangle screens you were talking about before, as soon as I saw them, I was like, oh, yeah, that level in Goldeneye. (laughs) Wait, there's... Uh Wow, I did. I must not have played as much Goldeneye as I thought, or I just have a really bad memory. I do not recall that level at all. It's uh, it's the bonus level, so it's after Cradle. There's like these bonus missions. Oh, uh, it might be called okay. like Crypt or something. No, it can't be. No, maybe it was. But I think this was the one. Maybe I've got this wrong because I can't quite remember. But like the Baron is in one, and you go and get the Golden Gun in another one. We have to walk along the specific path to get it. And then there's you know, this bit where you like, yeah, somebody's in there and you've got to escape from this room as it's about to be burned up. It's yeah, there's a lot of stuff in there. You know what the sad truth is? I was probably just so bad at Goldeneye that I never completed it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's a hard game. It's not easy. That's, I probably never saw this stuff when I was younger. Maybe really I need to cool. go back to it now. Yeah. But yeah, so yeah, so they're in this boardroom. And as you say, this this thing just folds into itself and the whole top opens and we see Drax standing there doing a little bit more monologuing. No idea what he says. He's just like, bye, I'm going now. And <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah, the footage is so clearly added in over the top as well of Drax in this like room. <laughs> like it wasn't shot at the same time. Right, yeah, I guess that makes sense. Probably using, yeah, some sort of matte painting or something like that. Yeah, like you could see the gaps in it basically. So Bond and... Goodhead are in this room about to be blown up and Drax is standing up atop, which is where the thing is uh, imposed. So he's like, bye, die, <laughs> please. And then he leaves and get in his Moonraker in the spaceship and straps in. 
all while Bond says like, ah, oh, let's go to the air vent. And like opens up his watch for some reason and like pulls this like string out, attaches it to the air vent, runs round the corner and hides, and Goodhead hides on the other corner, and then it explodes the air vent. Which I wanna say this was like a gadget from another film, but I I just didn't recall this at all, like where this came from. I don't think it's I don't think it was shown before. I think it's just one of those gadgets that we've seen before where it's like, yep, Bond has this and he's gonna use it now. Just assume that he has lots of gadgets we don't know about. It's just really odd because it very clearly connects into the vent. There's like a port and it like connects into it, but I don't know why. Isn't it just like some explosive on the end though? Yeah. And he just doesn't he just stick it on next to the vent? Yeah, but there's like a gap for it almost. Oh, okay. Oh, right. It's all a bit weird. Like, yeah, obviously he's going to escape or something, but like, I guess it doesn't bother me too much because we've seen this before with like Live and Let Die. They're just kind of more open to just Bond having these gadgets. And this is just kind of another one of those. I think the fact that it's not a core part of the film and we're about to go into space means that people don't really think about it too much. But yeah, it's a bit silly. He just has an explosive watch thing. But it doesn't even look like an explosive. It's just like a wire. So it's... But anyway, he blows it up and they escape. Mm. Of which he gets a very good line. Did you write this line down, Joe? Uh, He had to fly. No, that's the one later on. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, he they blow that up and then he leaves and then the thing shoots out and a load of fire follows them. And Bond says, bang, on time. Bang on time. That's Bang on good. time. That's, that is quite good. Come on. It's great stuff. So, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, they get through the fence and we see all the astronauts, all the young people we saw before getting on and, uh, or, or not getting on. Sorry. Yeah. They're just kind of still in the base. So there's still lots of people in their golden yellowy space suits or the uniforms and Bond and Goodhead are hiding uh, eventually they hide in a cart and go through this like underground cave section which gave me really strong Star Wars vibes. Like this felt like something from Star Wars just with the way like it was kind of structured. Oh, I bet they'd love to hear that. But yes, that's all yeah, perfect. Keep saying yeah, that. <laughs> it was just I hadn't got that to this point, but yeah, it was like this massive cave and it like kind of had all these like pillars that like curved up quite naturally and stuff. It felt like something from like Tatooine, like underground, something like that. Mm. so I, I guess i'll get this through quite quick because they hide in a car but then jump off and then they like steal another car so there's two other henchmen who just very kindly just stop for them yeah <laughs> they just run up to them and they stop and just like awkwardly slap and beat them up steal their gear drive to one of the moonrakers. so those people were like the pilots of one of the moonrakers. So they go to where that is. They just happen to know which one that is, I guess. So they then get on the craft strapped down. Goodhead says, hey, don't worry about it. We don't have to fly this thing. It's on a prearranged flight program. So we can just sit here and the craft takes off. And that finally takes us into space. We made it. We made it into We're space. We're in space. Uh, I mean, it's, it's a good start because I one thing I wrote down as you're getting these shots of them um, in that in that pre rescheduled flight and it's one that we should have i should have known this because even back in you only live twice i remember commenting that the pre and pre-title sequence scenes with the the spaceship and that sort of stuff 
looked good. It looked good back then. I mean, how many years later are we now? Of course, it's going to look good better. But they, if there's one thing, as you said, where they put the money, and the one thing they did get right with this film, I think, is like these sort of shots of the shuttle and eventually when we get to the space station and the model work. And yeah, there's clearly some effort put into the ending here. Yeah, the models are great. Like, it looks really good. So, like, yeah, we see all these moonrakers in space and eventually we see this giant city satellite place. And, yeah, all the models look great. I don't think they were quite as smart about it as, like, Star Wars. Like, I would still say Star Wars looks way better than what Mm. this film does. Because this one, I think, is more trying to aggressively shove the budget they spent on this in your face and has to do the whole look at all these explosions and stuff and look at all this crazy stuff happening in space where star wars they do do that but they were just smarter with it like they knew when to use the models and when to kind of not and they they put it together a bit smarter this one moonraker is a bit more all over the place so there's still some shots that don't look great uh, but there's also a lot of shots that do look great and the model work is really good it's just i think they really wanted to have a bond style ending in space so they didn't really kind of change it in order to make it look good. They just did a Bond-style ending in space. I will say, though, I've just said how great all these exterior shots are. I can't quite say the same for all of the interior shots, and the, why I'm saying that now is there's this one shot of, as they're heading towards this place, this space station, they're all converging, and yeah, they don't have anything to do because it's pre-programmed, so you just get this shot of um, Goodhead grabbing a clipboard and a pen that are floating and oh. that one doesn't look as good like it just it just looks bad like they do not look like they're floating and it's like stanley kubrick nailed this in 2001 a space odyssey and that was like what 10 years earlier like that you can do a good floating pen like there's there's an exact scene like that but this is not it this is not it yeah i thought that was bad as well like the zero g stuff in general is quite bad it is literally that joke of, oh, you can see the strings. Like, yeah, yeah, there's exactly. There's several times in this film where I saw the strings and never really bought this zero G. Like, yeah, it never worked. And this is true for this. And it does take you out of it a little bit. But something that doesn't take you out of it is just like how great these shots were, look and the music. Mm. Uh, this is kind of very much generally the scene. So the whole scene is them in space following the other Moonrakers they eventually see some sort of base uh, down, like, quite far out, which isn't on the radars. They're like, well, I don't know what we're heading towards. But eventually the base is kind of exposed to be this giant, almost, well, city, I think is what they describe oh, it as. It's that's a great space. shot as well. Oh. Yeah, yeah. So it's this big kind of city in, in space. But throughout this is quite a long scene because it's treated very, like, on an epic sort of way. Like, all the music is very space opera. It's very big, very kind of things like that it's meant to be treated very big like this is something like out of star trek or something like that i haven't really seen star trek but i would imagine oh you're missing out i would imagine that's what this is like it's all very slow all very big and i like it because it feels very different from the rest of the film which was more of a bond affair which wasn't like this and now we have this more classical space opera and they treat it as such as we see everything go through space so i do wish we got here sooner but I do quite enjoy these shots uh, for what they are. Yeah, it's kind of, it's like monkey's paw thing here because it's like in the last film we said, oh, the ending in the tank is too long. I wish we didn't spend as long here. And it's it's like, well, okay, you've got your wish. We don't spend as long at, this, at the space station, even though it's like, oh no, this is the stuff that you do want to see. It's just, yeah, 
it's a shame. Yeah, it's definitely a shame. But throughout this as well, we see that all the people that the young couples or the young women we were seeing before, they're actually on the ships. So those are the people who are being transported to this big city in the sky. And there's some sort of reference to Noah's Ark where Bond is saying, like, oh, yes, it's, you know, it's Noah's Ark. It's young people. It's it's people to reproduce and, and make a new world, basically hinting at a the plan and Bond kind of putting the pieces together to what Drax's ultimate plan probably is. Mm, yeah. So Goodhead eventually, yeah, she realizes that all these shuttles are converging at one point at this at this space station, and they're all going into like a docking mode. Uh, you do see one person in particular go out and go into the space station and sort out the gravity. <laughs> I guess they're like, right, we can't have zero G for very long. Let's get someone in there quick. Um, so he goes in and makes the shuttle start spinning. And I guess like there is a bit of science there, right? With like centrifugal force or centripetal force. Um, anyway, that starts to simulate gravity. So then they need to, they don't have to do the whole slow-mo walking and having the, the strings everywhere. Um, and then once that's done, everyone starts to board. You just see like tons and tons of people start flooding in. Like how the hell do they all get here? Like, yeah, because he room? turns on life support as well. So everyone oh. is not in full astronaut gear. They were, but now they're just kind of walking around. Like it's it's just a set. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So uh, you get all of the, like, the scientists coming on. Then you get um, all of the, the men and the women, the, the Noah's Ark pairs. They come in and everyone's going to their stations. It's all a bit mad. It's like, wow, this is quite an impressive little uh, setup that Drax has got going on here. And Bond and Goodhead obviously come in as well when they're sort of trying to stay undercover to an extent and drax you're you're so right about the whole like drax is like he's very he's a very egotistical man right because he's there up at one of these uh on this like walkway bit and the lights go down and there's like a spotlight on him and he's there basically to finish telling his plan and how um as you say like they want to make a a new generation of people they want to start again with like I can't remember the exact wording he uses, but it's all very much like "I am your god." I am creating this new world. We're gonna, we're gonna destroy what's existing and start afresh. Sort yeah, of it's thing. like untainted cradle of the heaven. Heavens. Oh, there you go. Yeah. yeah. So, um, and he's he's the creator of it all. So you're getting like, you're getting crazy, crazy like god, <laughs> uh, stuff here. So, um. Then you get so this is where like this whole scene in the space like, this whole ending bit it does it does move it does move quick so with that Bond and Goodhead kind of reflecting on the fact that they it wasn't visible on the radar they realize that there must be a jammer somewhere that's jamming the signal and if they unjam it someone on Earth will hopefully see it and do something um, because they're getting has he launched the I think he's shown off like. Basically, he's sending out the globes of toxic gas to kill everyone on on Earth. Don't know if he's done that yet, but that is the plan. Um, so uh, I don't think quite yet. But also, very briefly, during throughout this, we see Jaws and Dolly get on as well. Oh, yeah, they're there So too. when Drax is talking about super race and you have been selected because you are perfect specimens and the best of the best, you see, like, Jaws look a bit annoyed. <laughs> <laughs> he's talking about all these perfect people and this super race and he's like wait a minute i don't 
like this ties in later but it made me yeah. laugh jaws being a bit annoyed about like you are the perfect specimens jaws is like mm, yeah you're talking a, about me you get a bit of like confused or conflicted jaws there like a little bit of eyebrows like mm. yeah that's right uh, and it's planting the seeds as you say for later on so um they bond and goodhead go off to go find the radar jamming section like they're really helpfully like following all that it's very well signposted this space station they're like oh yes uh level 10 and so they they head off that way and go in there and sort of mooch about a bit because there's two scientists in there and eventually they take them out um kind of nice that they both do it it's not just bond like goodhead actually does a bit of action as well and takes out one of the guards and eventually she she goes onto one of the control panels and starts fiddling about and eventually turning off the um radar jamming and it's like i just found it so funny how they're they're saying this for um oh hopefully someone sees this now that there's it's on the radar and it like immediately it's like straight away like sir there's something in space you cut back to nasa or somewhere or wherever they are and you're getting the guy saying like oh yeah we've spotted something and and there's a commander who's saying oh send something up (laughs) just go and investigate send up a shuttle go and have a look so we're, we're like getting in motion the the climax like the battle because someone's coming now to go investigate the spaceship uh yeah the spaceship does it have a name does he ever give it a name I feel oh like... it must have a name it must have a name right i mean you, you have oh. atlantis surely drax would have given it a name oh yeah i don't know i i never picked up on a name but no way he didn't call it a name oh you also get gogol i forgot gogol appears in this bit yeah he recurred he 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 Definitely, yeah, has a few visits in these films. He's there on the phone kind of saying, oh, yeah, we've noticed something. Uh, the American guy saying, hey, we've noticed this. It's not us, um, so don't do anything. And Gogol's sort of like, well, okay, we'll give you some time, but if not, we're going to be angry. And he just goes back to bed with a beautiful woman in it, and it's like <laughs> in his bright red pyjamas. Oh. Even, even Gogol can't escape a bit of like comedy now. Like Everyone's in it. Everyone. Yeah, I didn't think much of that joke. <laughs> it was just more like, oh, okay, we're just going to do a whole Gogol is sleeping with a beautiful woman, which is why he's up. Because, yeah, it's the Americans and Russians talking to each other. But, okay, all right, I, fine. <laughs> but I didn't really <laughs> recognize it as Gogol from the last film. To me, it was just a Russian guy. So I was like, that's weird. But the fact that it is the same person from before does make more sense why they would do a little joke. Yeah. Yeah, and he, he comes back again. He's in, um, he's definitely in a view, was it a view to a kill? Yeah, I think so. Hmm. Yeah, I wish I had more to say about the actual space station itself, because we've already had a little bit of a scene here. It's all kind of been set up, but I do like the scenes in space, but in terms of the design of the space station, like, it's good, and it's definitely a lot better than the tanker from the last film. Mm, oh, yeah. But it's just kind of like a space station, in it? Like, I don't, like... The fact that we've seen so many like iconic space station designs, like from Star Wars and probably more famously like Alien as well, this one feels more. I mean, it's James Bond, so it makes sense. Feels more grounded, as in this is probably just a lot. Of this just looks like a space station, so it's like that's not a bad thing. But I kind of it doesn't really stand out in the same way that a lot of other films are very kind of like intentionally try to separate their space station designs. I feel like Moonraker just doesn't have that identity that you get with a lot of these like space films. Yeah, that's true. I'm going to give it the benefit of the doubt in that it's like 1979. So 
you know, it's early days, I suppose, for this sort of stuff. We're, we're maybe thinking of that, having known like newer films. Although, yeah, I suppose Alien would have come out by this point, right? So, yeah, it's around that. So it's not bad at all. It's just, I think it's it's just something. Yeah, like we've had a lot of iconic kind of sets from Bond, and I don't think this is really one of them. Not because it's bad, but just because the genre has so many more iconic, memorable sets that no one's really thinking of it. I think the more iconic element of this is the uniforms that everyone's wearing, where everyone's wearing these like golden uniforms. Like to me, that's what I remember more than the actual kind of space station itself. I I, I do quite like the whole aesthetic going on here. I like the set. I like the uniforms, as you say. I like all those like tubes, the glass tubes everywhere. Oh yeah, yeah, they were yeah. Good. Uh, and then like tied that with the the model shot that we get outside i think altogether i do like it i do wish it had a name now though now i've said that i'm like surely it must have a name. i'm gonna google that afterwards yeah paradise lost or something like <laughs> yeah something like that yeah that sort of name uh yeah so yeah the americans have sent up a shuttle to investigate this city so we go back to this satellite or space station and we see that drax this is when he starts launching the globes Oh, okay. Now. So globe number one is then launched, which is a globe full of the toxin, which I think they say will kill like, oh, it's an absurd number, they say, like 50 million people. Like, it's something utterly absurd. Like, each globe will kill like 50 million people. It's something like that. Right. Uh, so Bond and is still sneaking around. So at this point, he hasn't been caught. But we see Bond and Goodnight there, and Jaws just comes up behind him unnoticed, crosses his arms, and just smiles at them. And this triggers a little fight scene, which feels really pointless. Like, it's very quick, but it's another classic Roger Moore pointless fight scene. Because he punches Jaws in the mouth and hurts himself, which, yeah, we know. <laughs> like, we know that. Why did he do that? He already tried that before. Yeah, It's really silly that he did it again. But then he kicks Jaws in the groin, and I think it makes a metal sound. <laughs> it does it does implying yeah. that he's got some metal down there uh it's yeah i like that gag though i i i i know i sound like a hypocrite because i've been saying how i don't like how much they've made jaws a comedic character but i guess like like you say by this point you have to be all into it and it's just like so silly yeah he's, he's got metal teeth and he's not he's got some other metal stuff too <laughs> it's just the only point of this little fighting here is for that joke yeah uh, I guess Dolly's a lucky woman. I <laughs> or not. I don't know. It depends. Yeah, it depends what she's into. <laughs> Rust might be an issue. Oh. Uh, so anyway. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> uh, yeah, so Bond has been kidnapped. Uh, Jaws eventually does overpower Bond and take him away. <laughs> Sorry, I'm still laughing at that. Right, sorry. I'll back into it. Concentrate. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. Bond. This is a serious film, Joe. Sorry. sorry serious so film. Sorry. Serious stuff. Um, uh, yes. So, so another Moonraker is launched or something. That's why I've got in my notes. I don't really know. Um, and yeah, Jaws takes Bond to Drax, and I'm assuming Good Head as well. But I stopped mentioning her in my notes, so I guess I just didn't care at this mm-hmm. point where she was at. Just yeah, she lingers around. She's around like it's space. She's not going anywhere. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so Drake, well, Jake is talking to people and sees like, hey, check the radar jamming. And the guy says, yeah, that's failed. That's not works. And Drax then sees Bond and they have some sort of talk about seasons or something. This is where, like, I don't really think the dialogue is bad between these two. It just feels so meaningless. And 
they're doing some sort of analogy about winter coming or oh this is your winter it's, oh, it's just nonsense um <laughs> i don't remember that at all they're, they're talking about seasons it's just oh. anything i wrote down here was that bond bond calls it a flying stud farm which i thought was quite good yeah that's a great <laughs> yeah. actually i'll give him that one yeah so globe number two is then launched and drax explains like hey we have 50 of these things and that will wipe out the entire human race with the plan being that they're going to kill everyone. Not the animals, though. They'll still be okay. And then once the gas all wears off, then the super race people... I think the super race people are meant to have children on the space station and then send them down. Mm-hmm. I think he says something like that. But yeah. yeah, he's developing a super race by killing off everyone um, and then going back to Earth once everyone's been killed. Which is yep. another one of these post-Spectre plots where it's like, it's the same as Stormberg, really. It's like, I'm just going to build a new world. But his way of doing it is like, I'll just gas everyone, I guess. But everyone since, like everyone for a while now, just, well, the last two films, he just wants to kill everyone. I kind of miss Scaramanga where it's like, I just want to shoot Bond because that sounds like a fun time. <laughs> yeah, I will say after two films now where it's like proper megalomaniacal, just end of the world thing, I'm looking forward to the next film, which I think is going to be a lot more low-key. I, yeah, I don't hate these plots, but as you say, it's two in a row. Just two in a row. plot. Yeah. They're just trying to make it bigger, and it doesn't necessarily feel bigger. Um, but then we see that there's a spacecraft approaching. So this is the American spacecraft appro- uh, is approaching them to investigate, and Drax says, hey, just use the laser that we have to destroy it. And says, like, hey, we've got a... Yeah, we're equipped. Don't worry about us. We're going to take care of this. So Drax then takes Bond and Goodhead to a... What would you call it? Because I, I put escape pod, but it's not an escape pod. It's like a hatch. Um, would you just call it like a door? But I, I'm sure it has like a... Is it like a hatch? Oh, yeah, 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 a hatch. That's exactly it. Yeah, a hatch, which would shoot them out into space. So he shows them there, and Bond then asks Drax, because Jaws is the one kind of grabbing him and moving him along with the henchman. Bond asks Drax at this point about his plans a bit more and about this perfect race and you're saying like well surely anyone who doesn't meet your standards of excellence and beauty will be exterminated and he's all like yes yes of course (laughs) of course i'll do that and at this point jaws looks worried and dolly nearby looked very worried as well basically bond is trying to expose the fact that drax is probably not going to keep jaws around in his plan because jaws is not part of the super race that he has envisioned so Drax then says, get rid of him, like expel them, kick him out. And Jaws is kind of thinking about it. Drax, for the first time, gets very angry, starts shouting, which I thought was quite a nice touch. Yeah. Because um, I think yeah. this is supposed to be kind of parallels to his dogs at the very beginning of the, the film. And he probably sees Jaws at the same way that he sees his dogs and where his dogs obeyed him. And he was fine and in control. Now we have Jaws, who you probably sees the same way. He doesn't obey him, which is probably why he gets very angry and mad. Yeah, he starts screaming like, you obey me. And it's, yeah, it's quite nice to get, so far he has been very calm and collected. And you now, you're seeing kind of like the seams break a little bit and like the hair go a bit out of, out of order. And yeah, it's good. Yeah, very, very nice kind of touch. So eventually Jaws thinks, forget this, and starts fighting and Bond starts attacking the guards and there's kind of this big fight. I think eventually enough guards kind of surround them with these like black sticks, which are like taser sticks, which mm. we have seen earlier. But yeah, they don't have guns. I'm assuming because you don't want to fire a gun in a space station. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, so yeah, instead, like everyone has like sticks, like tasers, and that's how they take people down. Yeah, if only Bond knew that's all it took to take down Jaws is a <laughs> is a little stick that that sparks him. That that would have done it. Apparently, that would have done it. Q Q messed up. <laughs> it just likes to overcomplicate things sometimes. Just get yeah. a taser. There you go. <laughs> I've got you this watch. Double seven. It's like I could really do with a taser. Actually, yeah, we we should have. He should know that from the train fight in the last film. Doesn't like electricity. There you go. Hmm. But during this, so they're captured again. But Bond sees an emergency stop button, which apparently is for like the entire space station. We shortly find out. Like it's not just a. I thought it was to stop the globes being shot or something, but no, it's he scratches his head and then just lunges and presses the button, and the entire city stops spinning, which breaks the simulated gravity and everyone starts floating about. And this is where you see so many strings. Yep, like so many people just held up by strings, and you see more of the fake slow mo. So everyone kind of moves along and kind of falls over because it stopped. And now everyone's back in zero G and it's just so fake. Like it just doesn't it just doesn't work at all. It's one of those things where it's for me, I was finding myself, if I just sort of like don't focus on any one thing on the screen, it's alright. But then as soon as I like look at one person in particular, oh yeah, they're just moving slowly. And then oh that person is I can see there's the string. It's like I just need to almost like when you're trying to do like an optical illusion and you sort of try and cross your eyes a bit, it's just like, don't, don't look too closely. Yeah. You always want to say like back in the day on a smaller TV, you would have been fine, but I feel like in a cinema, this still would have looked kind of, Oh yeah. Yeah. All blown up with the strings and stuff like that's just so obvious. (laughs) All right. If you're going to do the whole slow motion thing for zero G, which, you know, it's, it's a, it's a reasonable thing to do. You're not going to get everyone on a wire. So if you're going to do that, at least like make sure people do it right. I know you have a lot of people in the shot, but just a bit more training. You know, that's all you need. But this is what I was kind of saying, like with Star Wars and stuff, they don't do stuff like this. They didn't try to have it. They didn't stop a ship and have everyone fling forward and then start floating because they were smarter than that. But this one, they're just not smart about it. Like they just shouldn't have done these shots because they can't do them. So Star Wars just didn't do those shots. But James Bond tries to do it and just kind of messes it up. It's not a big deal, but it does take you out of it a little bit. Yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah, they shouldn't They shouldn't really have tried. Although in doing this, in stopping the space station, um, it does... I think it doesn't stop the laser, does it? But I think it just makes the laser miss because it like stops suddenly. Mm. Yeah, so the, the American space shuttle is still there. And can't remember do they come out first or does does drax send his henchmen out first or i think the americans come out first yeah they're all there and you get them in their little jet packs and ready with their laser guns it's this is right but now reaching the part of the film that i think a lot of people make fun of um i mean there's enough to make fun of so far but this is definitely one of them we're getting into the laser space battle because yeah the americans are there then drax sends out his um his henchmen in the gold and they have their own space lasers and the next few scenes is just like utter chaos <laughs> it's just I, at one point i was like looking at the screen because i paused it to write a note and i'd paused it with like on that wide shot where there's lasers everywhere and they like have the lasers almost coming towards the camera and i was just like what am i looking at right now oh it's nonsense like the people just don't look real in the slightest <laughs> 
No. Just no. little loads of little figures just all placed along this scene of space with just a load of lasers put over the top of it. I I can appreciate them trying this, right? It's not an easy thing to do. Uh maybe like like what you said with the whole gravity, they shouldn't have even attempted such a scene. But you know, they, they have the insert shot that like people lasering um the backpacks, like the oxygen tanks, and then they get spin off and explode and I I can appreciate it for just how silly it is. I don't mind it. I do wish that they had better laser sounds. I think that's one of the things that makes it a bit seem a bit worse is that they have really kind of dweebish laser sounds. I want some I proper. So as well. I want some ones with like punch. Yeah. Yeah, you want it to feel like a bullet, like. But they've already established earlier in the film in bloody Mexico that mm-hmm. when the laser hits something, it melts it, which oh, yeah. kind of takes away a lot of the punch from this scene. That's a good point. Just weird. Clearly, the Americans have, uh, well, better or worse laser guns than we do. I don't know. <laughs> it's just, yeah, like this is just the fundable underwater scene just in space. Yeah. And oh, yeah. Like, they shouldn't have done it. <laughs> they should have done it. Like, I would have, I don't know what they should have done. I'm up for a big laser fight, but it just looks so bad. Like, they try to make it, because, you know, we've seen this with. They want the big scale two sides fighting each other. Like from You Only Live Twice and Thunderball and then also The Spy Who Loved Me. And this is them trying to do it and they just needed to tone it down. Like they should have just had it be inside the space station, not little figures floating because it just doesn't look good. Mm. (laughs) I didn't dislike it because it was so stupid, but it just, for what they were probably going for, a big intense action fight, it's just so, so ridiculous. Yeah, again, it's like when they should have lesson learned from from Star Wars. If you're going to have these space things, have them inside, like the stormtroopers. If you want to have outside battles, it's got to be in a in a spaceship. It's got to be in a spaceship. Yeah. Uh, so while that's going on, the U.S. ship itself actually does dock because the the space station has stopped. The U.S. shuttle docks, and a load of people do actually storm it. Um, and while this is all happening, the third globe is shot as well and we see bond goodhead and jaws just kind of hanging out now and fighting a load of guys and they eventually kind of meet up with the u.s guys who have stormed it and they end up storming the main control room and we get like a load of explosions everywhere which i find so weird because you're in space like Mm -hmm. like i'm glad no one's throwing grenades or stuff but they do the same thing they did with these other ones with the spy who loved me and that where it's just like well it's a big fight scene so let's have a load of explosions everywhere and it's just i didn't really like this one like i didn't hate it but it's just like there's just no impact to it just a load of people in space and just a few explosions and just a load of lasers and yeah it, it just doesn't look very good i liked it more than spy who loved me purely just i think aesthetics wise even though actually i I say this as a negative but i actually did love it i love how much the walls are actually wobbling like we haven't (laughs) we haven't we haven't quite got to it breaking up yet but when it does like those walls are wobbling so much it's it's ludicrous (laughs) it's just (laughs) this is meant to be something in space and i i kind of like its absurdity there yeah you're right i would say it's better than spy love me because it's it's shorter and more to the point and mm. just yeah, it's just more it's something different, right? Where the spider yeah. me kind of wasn't. But yeah, I wish they just didn't they're so clearly trying to fall back on Bond tropes because they think that's what people want, rather than playing to the strengths of what they have. And this is just that. It's like you could just 
replace the tank a bit with lasers <laughs> and have some wobbly white walls and there you go same scene yeah that's exactly it one thing that this film does get better though one thing we mentioned in spy love me was that was a bit of a, a bum note was bond versus the villain um just shooting stromberg like point blank pretty much uh whereas in this one i think it's better so you you do get bond chasing drax um very briefly down to the end of a corridor um where drax is there with well is it an escape hatch is he meant to is he trying to escape i don't think he's trying to escape it's just cornered. he might be but yeah i think there's just hatches everywhere oh okay i see right so um bond's there and drax manages to grab a laser gun off of a dead body nearby so and i I do i love how much at this point drax just looks terrible (laughs) his hair is all over the place he looks panicked and scared obviously his plan is falling apart around him there's really great lighting in this scene where like the lights are kind of flickering almost and it's like darkness sometimes and half his face is in shadow and it's very atmospheric so you get him um with a gun so like he think he says like oh at least um i'll be able to put you out of my misery or something like that kind of tying back to how like he really hates bond this guy now he really just even if he's gonna die he's still like his last thing he wants to do is kill bond so um bond's there uh, and he puts his hands up because he's got, got a gun on him and because he still has the dart gun he kind of flips up his wrist and before drax has a chance to shoot he shoots him with a dart gun and uh, I presume it's the one with the cyanide because uh, he sort of like drops the the laser gun and like um, grabs his chest and falls backwards and is falling towards the back hatch that he was in front of. And Bond walks up and sort of ushers him more into this escape, uh, into this yeah escape hatch and just pushes him inside. And um, I wrote down the line here, take a giant step for mankind. That's what he says as he pushes him in and closes the door and uh yeah uh jets him out into space you get this you get this i kind of like this shot the shot of uh drax getting sucked out where i don't know how they did this shot it almost doesn't look real in a way but yeah like he gets pulled out backwards and then turns and you get like a bit of a scream and this vacuum suck sound effect and um and that's the end of drax i uh I, i'm just so pleased that we've got a good villain ending i was really happy with this i like the ending but this is where it kind of really hammered home that the rivalry between these two kind of just sucks and it just isn't quite there and i think for me that takes a lot of the kind of venom and the kind of the weight of this like it's it's totally appropriate like bond using his watch gadget and pushing him out and the the line taking a giant step for mankind like it all totally makes sense and it does work it's just yeah i this isn't like the Goldfinger one where seeing Goldfinger get sucked out of the plane is somewhat satisfying because of the rivalry that those two had. And I, yes, they spent a decent amount of time speaking. It's just in that connection just wasn't there for me. So good death. I just think the villain falls a little bit flat at the end here because I kind of realized like, oh yeah, these two don't really like, yeah, Drax doesn't like Bond. Sure. But he was just kind of messing around with Bond and yeah, I just didn't feel the connection between the two. So still, oh. good death, just not quite, just a bit lacking compared to some of the other ones. I, I also liked how the gadget use here made perfect sense as well. Like, mm. 
it's not like Bond quickly does something to distract him and, and then uses the, the watch, the dart watch. Like he's putting his hands up as a sign, you know, because he's, he's given in or pretending to give in. Um, and that's how he uses it. It's like, yeah, that's that's how you use a gadget and you make it satisfying because it, it all just makes sense in the moment. So, um, yeah, that's Drax gone. But obviously the the pods, the globes are still out there and the spaceship is still <laughs> wobbling to destruction <laughs> around them. So um, they have to go and work out how to get rid of these these three globes that have been sent out. How do they yes. do that, Tom? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so we do have a little bit of a scene here where, like, the villain's taken care of and how Bond has to escape and save the day still. So everything is just completely tearing apart. So he meets up with Goodnight. I don't know where she went before. Don't don't ask me. Um but meet up with Goodnight again. Bond tells the US guys because they've now completely taken over the control room and taken everything over. And I don't know when that happened. Apparently they just won. Good job, boys. <laughs> um, so Bond just says, get, go back, leave, get back to the shuttle, get out of here. Um, and one of these, like, so the city kind of has this big control area, then like these like tubes, these big long corridors connecting to it. And one of them kind of completely rips off and starts kind of turning and i think this is where you see those wobbly walls inside that corridor right as it completely separates there they are uh so but then bond is needs to find a way to stop the globes from getting uh distilling the the nerve gas on everyone and killing them so he says that moonraker 5 drax's ship has a laser gun so they can use that so the americans run off they get back on their shuttle and leave uh bond and good heart good heart that's not right Good, good head. head. I wrote good heat, but I was like, that's not right. So I'll oh. say good heart. It's like, well, that's not right. A few times in my notes, I put good night as well. I, yeah. is... I did notice you said good night a couple of times, and it did trigger oh, did me I? Sli- It did trigger me slightly. I'm going to say it. Ah, oh, I didn't know. But yeah, sometimes I did say good or write good night, but it's not a good sign. So yeah, they're running. So they, they get to the Moonraker. So they get in there and they're ready to set off, but the docking release is jammed. They can't leave. They can't release the ship, so they can't get out. And we then cut to Jaws looking around because he's still here. He's everyone. still alive. Yeah, yeah, he's still going. So he's trying to find his girlfriend. He eventually finds Dolly. They run into each other's arms and decide to kind of accept death, it seems to be, on the cards today. So Jaws finds some champagne. Very nice. Uh, opens it with his mouth mm-hmm. on the cork. Pours a little champagne. They They have their uh, champagne glasses there it came it came with glasses which is very helpful and they go to toast and jaw says for the first time well here's to us oh it's a really nice moment in my head i kind of thought i wish he said we have all the time in the world <laughs> <laughs> that would have just been perfect and then blowfield suddenly drives by with ralph yeah, no <laughs> she's just resting with a laser gun <laughs> <laughs> and melts and melts Dolly's face. Blofeld <laughs> <laughs> in a neck brace as well. <laughs> just yeah, just in a little an escape pod going past. <laughs> Drive by lasering. <laughs> we have all. <laughs> uh, oh. Why did? Oh, that's a great ending there. Why didn't that happen? Damn it! Next time. It was still nice, though. It kind of it almost made the whole girlfriend thing with Dolly pay off because it was just a sweet little moment. As you say, they're accepting their fate and just having a nice drink. 
Yeah, I like it. This is kind of the for keeping it. It's kind of nice to have Jaws. Because you need to kill off Jaws, don't you? Like, they need to kill it off. So I actually, I guess just to talk about Jaws for a minute and the whole him turning good, I actually quite like that. I think some people don't. But for me, I think it kind of makes sense. Like, you're giving him an ending where he's going to die, but he's like does kind of redeem himself. And I think the fact that he was such a comedy character to begin with kind of justifies the switch. Like, if he did that in The Spy Who Loved Me, you'll be like, what? The guy that bites people? What are you talking about? But if it's like the guy with a girlfriend who dresses up as a clown and is just quite a silly billy and falls off waterfalls and stuff, I'm like, yeah, I can buy that guy with Switch. Um, so I actually kind of like this little bit for Jaws, him switching and then getting to kind of enjoy his death, but actually killing him in a way that makes sense because he's in space and explodes, dies. Like, they balance it quite well. Obviously, you have to buy into the idea of comedy Jaws, but if you do like I did, then I think this all plays out quite nicely. I hate to burst your bubble, Tom, but they don't die. What do you mean they don't die? They don't die. I mean, we're skipping, ahead, we're skipping ahead a little bit, but once it's all done, one of the people, like one of the men in the command center at NASA says, oh, we're picking up a, um, some li- some life signs on a, on a p- escape pod, a tall man and a short blonde woman or something. Oh, was that them? Yeah. Oh, I missed that. I just assumed they'd die. Oh, that's a I kind of, I, do, I kind of preferred if they did die, to be honest with you. But anyway, um, I do agree, though, with everything you just said. Like, the situation they put Jaws in makes it work so much more for go- turning good. And I don't mind it either. I quite like it. Uh, you, know, you, you can kind of think, A, the situation with the whole Drax's plan. Yeah, that makes sense that he would want to survive that situation. And B, you know, maybe Dolly has brought out the nice side of him. Yeah, maybe that's all he needed was a woman in his life. He's and, a changed uh, man, that's true. He's a changed man, exactly. So I, I, I like it too. Yeah, yeah, quite a nice ending there. But uh, Bond... <laughs> so, this really made me laugh where Bond is just in the ship trying to figure out how to leave and just looks over and sees Jaws and Dolly just waving at them. <laughs> like, hi! <laughs> so then can Bond's we... like, Jaws, can you help me out? We can't get rid of the, uh, we we can't get rid of the docking release. It's jammed. Can you help out? And then George just gives like a thumbs up. <laughs> I got your pal. Don't worry about it. Although actually, oh. Dotty whispers in his ear, I think, and then eventually he's like, "Yeah, I've got you." Thumbs up. Yeah, and we Thank see God for Dotty. Yeah, Dotty knows what's up. It's like you got to save that man. And Jaws goes over, bends a pipe, snaps it off, and that frees the shuttle. And the shuttle is now leaving, and I think Bond makes a line saying, don't worry, they'll make it. It's only a hundred miles to Earth. <laughs> I, think, I don't know if that's him being sarky or not, because apparently they do make it, I don't know. Yeah, they do. But I thought it was them just making a lighthearted joke about them dying just to take off that edge, but no, I guess they're fine. Yeah, I guess you can't... Everyone loves Jaws, they just couldn't They couldn't do that, they couldn't do it to the fans, even though they really should have. Yeah, the kids who were watching probably would have been very upset. Got posters of Jaws on their wall. <laughs> Not <laughs> <Very> Jaws. <tall> <laughs> uh, but that all ends and the whole thing explodes, which is why it doesn't make sense. But this is where we get a big old explosion of the space station. And oh, that's yeah. that. The space station is gone. Yeah. It's like I read that it was like they just shot it with a shotgun. I was like, yeah, that will do oh, it. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. So in the... Let's, yeah, this, this end bit, let's just... In this ship, in Moonraker 5, they are chasing after the um, the three globes that have been launched already. 
Uh, they have obviously yeah Drax Drax's laser on this one, so they use the laser um, auto firing for the first two. Um, kind of works. Just Bond has just to press fire and it's done. Uh, but the third one because it's so far away and they have to catch up and they're getting kind of closer towards the Earth's atmosphere and Goodhead is saying how like they're starting to burn up and they're starting to skip on the atmosphere and it's making the um, the laser malfunction, like the targeting system. So they have to go into manual mode. So Bond is there um, with the like the joystick pretty much um, in the manual targeting mode and this is like meant to be the end tense bit. Is he going to do it? They've only got a certain amount of time left before they they burn up so um yeah he he misses a couple times and then he shoots it and they they do it <laughs> i don't really yeah, have much you to say about that very quickly that's this seems a little bit longer than you're letting on <laughs> it is but that is really just the gist of it they do drag it out for a bit of suspense but not not much else happens really yeah i didn't mind it so much the main thing that bothered me was the good whatever good person's acting is terrible because like they're skipping on the atmosphere, burning up, and it's meant to be tense. And she's just like, she just sounds bored. Just like, oh, you gotta shoot it now, James. She sounded bored the whole way through the film. To be honest, I'm not a big fan. Sure, of this but I guess she's never been in that crazy of a situation. But this is like pretty nuts what they're doing here with this Moonraker shuttle bouncing off the atmosphere, shooting a laser to save like millions of people. She's just like, oh, you gotta come on, James, last chance, hey. Let's get it done. <laughs> She's very level-headed. <laughs> yeah, well, that's one word for it. Cool as a cucumber, that good head. She's got a good head on her. Oh, yeah. Oh. There it is. But there anyway, is. let's let's wrap this up. <laughs> so we cut to a, a control room, which is where the people are talking. And this is why I missed this, because I thought when they, they talked about two survivors, I thought they meant Bond and Goodhead, but... You're right. If they're saying it's a tall person and a blonde woman, it has to it can only be them. They might not say blonde. I don't know if they would know that, but I think it's definitely tall person and maybe short woman. They say or something like that. So yeah, oh, it's okay. definitely there. Yeah. So in this room, Q and M and the Ministry of Defense are all there, and this man is such a jokey bit. This bit here, where this man is just talking about how wow, what a big success this is, and we're going to patch through to the space shuttle who saved the day. And we're going to patch in the White House and Buckingham Palace and the Queen is going to be watching. It's just oh, so <laughs> over the top. And eventually we do cut to the the feed itself and it's Bond and Goodnight lying together naked, kissing. And M's all like, ah, 007 and what's going on? And the Ministry of Defence says, my God, what is Bond doing? And Q says, I think he's attempting re-entry, sir. Oh. And That's, Bond... Yeah. Yeah, Bond smiles at the camera, turns it off, and Goodhead asks, take me around the world one last time, and Bond's like, oh, why not? And, and like a kind of funky version of the Moonraker theme kicks in, and the credits roll. Yeah, it's like a yeah, like a disco remix version of it. Um, yeah, I do like I, how I didn't Q like this gets... Bit. <laughs> did you not? I liked how Q got the line, which yeah. is a bit different. Um but no, it's 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 we've seen this so many times now. It's like, yeah, this 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 is done. They really hammed it off for this though, which is why I didn't like it. Like this one man enthusiastically being like, "It's so great! This is going to be amazing!" And I think the idea is that you know what's coming, but to me that made it a little bit much. But you're right. Q saying the line is 
quite funny in itself. Yeah. yeah. So that was Moonraker. That was Moonraker. Uh, I think it's me to go first. I think it is, yeah. Yeah, so here we go. So my expectation of this film, I wasn't too sure what to expect. I, I thought it was going to be worse than The Spy Who Loved Me. But going into it, I was kind of up for a city Bond space adventure. Like, that side of it just doesn't bother me. I totally get why people do get bothered by it. Bond in space is probably just too dumb for some people, but I'm kind of up for that. That's totally fine by me. Um, but what we got was a film that's just so all over the place. Um like, I think it overall ends quite well. I do quite like the space stuff in general. I feel like we didn't go massively into detail about it, but it is overall still quite enjoyable. It's just, it just takes so long to get to that point. And a lot of the stuff just feels so kind of disconnected. And there's so many jokes that just don't work in this film. And it just feels so patched together that I just can't really get behind it. I mean, the good stuff is I think Drax is pretty solid. I am a little bit disappointed by... I like, I like the actor and him overall. I am disappointed by that lack of chemistry I feel like he has with Bond, which I think is such an important part of the formula that even Stromberg, it was a little bit better. Not great, but a little bit better. Um, that I feel like that is kind of missing. And I do really like the music. Like I said, this is the best score we've ever had in a Bond film. Like, that is pretty good. So I would still overall say I enjoyed it. Like, there's a lot of stuff I don't like, but I like the Jaw stuff. And I think... The opening sequence is good and there's a lot of kind of standalone things that I think do work. It's just when you put it all together and have these moments that fall quite flat with the comedy is when it kind of sinks and just doesn't reach the heights that perhaps it should. So for me, Bond in Space sounds pretty good. Uh, but when I look at my list, I think that means that I couldn't put it above like the classic films. So that means I'm looking at The Man with a Golden Gun, which is currently my second highest Roger Moore film. It's not going anywhere near The Spy Who Loved Me. And I would say I enjoyed The Man with the Golden Gun more. I think there was just more I enjoyed about that film or I felt a little bit more consistent. And then I look at Live and Let Die and that one's a little bit more tricky because I think there is a lot of stuff in Moonraker that work. But when I look back to Live and Let Die, I kind of feel the same. I did enjoy that film despite the terrible boat chase. So I think I'm going to put it underneath Live and Let Die. Um, I'm not going to say it's I'm not even going to entertain the idea of putting it underneath Diamonds Are Forever. Like, this doesn't reach that level for me. Uh, so I'm going to put it at number 10. So underneath Live and Let Die and above Diamonds Are Forever. But I would still say overall, I did enjoy it. Like, I didn't come away, like, annoyed or regretting my time with it. It's just as a complete package, I think it falls down. But there is enough that I liked about it that I would still say, like, yeah, pretty good time. Pretty good time here. And I like it more than I think I used to before the rewatch. It's just, yeah, when I compare it to the other Bond films, it's just down there for me. So I'm going to have to put it at number 10. Wow. That's so, like, that's mad. So you like, you saying all that stuff about liking it, but it's second to last. Well, I like all these films. I want to thing, 10. Yeah. I like them all. So I'm not comparing a film I hate to compare it. Like, you know, Diamonds Are Forever is the only one I hate. Like everything else, I like Live and They Die. I think that's a good film. And I think I like Moonraker and I think it's a good film. I just have to rank it below it because I had a better time with Live and They Die. So do you think going forward there's going to be it's going to be films now in between Moonraker and Diamonds Are Forever? I think so, yeah. I don't see Moonraker being bottom five, but it probably is still going to be quite low down there. But I don't see it being bottom five. Okay. Hmm. Interesting. I mean, it just goes to show like 
the, the solidness of these early films for you where you can like this film but all those other ones are still better yeah yeah that's that's the problem i had i just man with the golden gun when i looked at it initially i was like no i actually did quite like a lot of parts of that film and i think the best the man with the golden gun is just better than the best of moonraker and then i just kind of like live and let die a little bit more but that's just a personal taste i totally get why someone would like moonraker over live and let die Mm. speaking of which so Mm. um for me as i mentioned this is this is my number four on my top bond films previously when we first started this podcast and i had a feeling that it wasn't and the fact that it was one I'd kind of watched most recently before starting this, I had a feeling it wasn't going to move too far. Um, it's it's such a mixture of good and bad, though. It's it's as I said before, it's like the spy love me on steroids. It does some things, it takes that and does some things really well, um, and it takes that and does some things really badly because of it. So bad stuff wise, like I really I, the the Rio section in particular is the part that really drags for me. Which is a nice, as I say, it's a nice difference to the ending usually being the bit that drags. But yeah, just the bit before in Rio, I didn't like the cable start, cable car stuff. Um, that being said, I didn't love the Bondola bit in Venice, but it's fine. Um, and yeah, the ambulance bit back in Rio and like the Mexican weird cowboy bit. That's random. Get rid of that. Uh, Jules, I am kind of sad how much they just took him as a comedic character completely. And as you've said, once you kind of let your mind accept that it's not as bad, but I still wish they would have tried to keep him more sinister. Um, but that just wasn't to be. Um, and also, I I just didn't find Bond very likable in this film. He just has a lot of people killed behind him, <laughs> unnecessarily, like these poor people. And also, just his chemistry with most people I didn't love. I think he, a lot of cocky Bond and just a lot of, yeah, just unlikable Bond in this one, unfortunately. That being said, I really did like the music. We both said that we really like the music here. Um, I liked a lot of the action scenes were quite good. I liked the whole centrifuge room. I liked the end scene. I liked the, the spaceship, the space station battle. I think all the space station stuff was pretty darn good. Um, the fight with Chang I thought was pretty good. And I thought Drax was a pretty good villain. I, I like Drax a lot more than Stromberg, personally. I think it did have a better connection with, with Bond to me. So I think that brings it that brings it up. That being said, uh, it's still going below The Spy Who Loved Me. Um, still not quite as good as that. So it's going just underneath. Uh, just like before, it's going at number four for me. No, sorry, number three. Um, number three. So my top three is still From Russia of Love, The Spy Who Loved Me, and then Moonraker, and Thunderball next. Okay, yeah. so you're still looking at Moonraker and Thunderball and saying Moonraker is better. Yeah, as I thought, I'm the more I watch films, the more I'm going to find ones that top Thunderball to me. So that's why it just slides in neatly here. Yeah, I look forward to that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like for me, like Thunderball is clearly like personally again, I I definitely prefer Thunderball to Moonraker, but. Like they're eight spaces apart on mine. I should also mm. say in terms of um, Moonraker being number 10 for me and below those is it goes back to what I said kind of, I think, at the bow chase about boredom. Like that is another thing where overall I'd still say liked it and glad I watched it, but that was the most bored I've ever watched a Bond film, which kind of brings it down in that list. Yeah. Um, and I even with Live and Let Die with the terrible boat chase, I never felt boredom. And I think that's the worst thing you can do with a Bond film 
be bored. So enough good stuff in there, which I would still say, yes, I liked it. But yeah, don't bore me, Bond. Don't do that. <laughs> it really, a Bond film really, it could do a lot of things, but it should not be boring. It can be bad, but bad is better than boring. Yes. in Yeah, for the most part. So that was Moonraker. I am not looking forward to the next few weeks. I think you should look forward to the next one, at least. I hope it's, so. It's a bit of a come down from what we've just had the last two podcasts of. I think, you know, they noticed that they went a bit too far maybe with this one. So in for your eyes only, we're going to get, I think, a bit more, oh, I don't want to say gritty because it's still Roger Moore, but a bit more maybe down to earth of a story. I mean, I know it's supposed to be quite a, like people do like this one, but I've just got a bad feeling. I got a real bad feeling that that I'm not going to enjoy it. And if I don't enjoy it, then, (laughs) oh my God. Did you like Like, what I did there, by the way? Down to earth? No, never mind. Ah, there there he is. (laughs) Right at the end. I'm still going. Damn. (laughs) I still got it. Still still got it, folks. But yeah, I'm just a little bit nervous. I hope I do like uh, For Your Eyes Only, but after that, it's like, what, Octopussy and... Oh. abuse to a kill yeah it doesn't last long this this feeling so yeah yeah like <laughs> like you have the kind of slow guy hamilton roger moore films then you have these like bombastic lois gilbert ones and then you have the the john glenn era which is a uh, certainly an era Hmm. Oh. all right i should be optimistic let's be optimistic yeah let's be optimistic i i, I actually am because i put this one i, I put the next one quite high up on my bottom films so i'm looking forward to watching it and hopefully changing my mind i hope so too if i rank it above the man with the golden gun that's a success in my eyes i'm just yeah. worried that i'm going to create the roger moore depressed the pit <laughs> grim <laughs> era of my list yeah 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 well we'll see we'll see he's only getting older so i'm not excited about that <laughs> don't worry they put more and more makeup on as it goes on. oh there we go yeah 80s just plaster makeup. it on plaster Smart, it on by yeah. the end just stop sending him to hot countries. You're halfway there. I just use like one of those you know, Homer's shotgun makeup. <laughs> I just blast him. <laughs> yeah, a Q version of that. Yeah, exactly. All right. So any last thoughts before we go? I still can't believe you, believe you made that comment about uh, <laughs> jaws and rusting. That. Don't bring it up again. Just leave it. I have to. It's great. No, I'm going to be thinking about that now. I really shouldn't leave it. Yeah. Thanks for planting that image. For context for people, like the reason why that made that laugh because it's like twenty to twelve at the moment. <laughs> we record these a little late, uh, so I like the idea of Joe going to bed. I imagine a big nightcap, being like, "Ah, rust." <laughs> I'll be dreaming of Jaws tonight. Dreaming of oh, that, oh, that's a hell of a line. Dreaming of Jaws tonight. We've got to end it there. All right. Okay. Thank you very much for listening. You have been listening to episode eleven of the Bond Revisited podcast. The Bond Revisited podcast will return next week with For Your Eyes Only. <laughs>